Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9am on Cork's Red FM. Still a bit of a wind out there, you will notice it. Nothing like the weekend where we got battered by Storm Aiden. I suppose, I suppose there were always these storms, but we're just much more aware of them now because they have a name. Isn't it true? Do you ever think about that? But the papers this morning talk about uh, 90 kilometre an hour winds across counties. The further west you went, of course, uh, the windier it was. I hope it didn't do any damage, but um, uh, there you go. That's another one behind us. And they're just talking about more of that across the winter, which is kind of normal for winter when you think of it. Paper-wise this morning, uh, talk of funerals. And of course, Mark O'Sullivan at the age of 26 uh, was laid to rest after funeral mass at the Church of the Immaculate Conception in Kenturk on Saturday. Um, and uh, there were separate funerals. I'm reading from uh, both the Examiner, the Mail, and indeed the Echo this morning. The Echo talk about the separate funerals. Separate it was a decision made to hold a separate funeral for his father, Tig, and his brother, Dermot. Uh, but at Mark's funeral, uh, Father Tony Blewett said, Toby Blewett, my apologies, uh, said the shock and the numbness, the devastation, impossible to imagine. And the unfolding news of the loss of three lives was incomprehensible, he says. Uh, this morning, the mail talks in a little bit more detail regarding the events. Uh, husband and son taunted mother as she fled for help. We're learning that uh, Anne ran out of the house. They ran after her and took her mobile phone from her. Um, the uh, story, of course, um, is going to develop even more now when we have an inquest and, and, and things like that. But the mail this morning says Anna Sullivan was taunted by her husband and son about their murder of her devoted son, Mark, before they killed themselves in a horrific murder-suicide. Uh, the papers this morning are speculating that both uh, Mark and his mam were coaxed back into the house on, under the pretext that everything would be okay and people would get along and they went back to the home for the first time in a fortnight uh, on the Sunday night only uh, to be woken early the next morning and we all know what happened then uh, and it's just uh, an awful, awful story of tragedy. Um, the papers also this morning talk of Leaky Varadkar. Now, there's a lot of pressure on Michal Martin because... Um, people are urging him, including people within Fianna Fáil. They're said to be furious, Fianna Fáil TDs. The Michal Martin um, didn't himself release any kind of a statement after the Tarnished admitted that he sent the con- a contract regarding a union agreement over pay uh, to... Um, well, firstly, it, it, had, it had gone to the people it was supposed to go to, um, you know, with regards to the medical practitioners. But there's a second organization that Varadkar then sent it to. Now, this is going to be a big issue for anybody wanting to do business with the government, particularly unions, because they'll be asking themselves, like, how safe is it to enter negotiations with the government with regards to paying conditions? But the Greens are keeping the pressure on Varadkar, if you're following this. He'll, he'll survive this and he will be uh, addressing the doll on it. I believe tomorrow, but there are serious, there's serious unease now about Varadkar leaking uh, this union agreement over pay. Um, and within Fianna Fáil and indeed the Greens, they're none too happy with it. What makes it even more bizarre was that when Varadkar sent this uh, leaked document uh, over to Machu O'Toole of the NAGP, which is the National Association of General Practitioners, he sent it by courier, which leads me to believe that the taxpayer picked up the bill for the courier to send it over there. Um, and that's a story, of course, that we'll have to wait and see what Michal Martin says today or indeed if he gets up in the doll tomorrow. Um, I don't see this as being a res- resigning issue, do you? I don't see it as being an issue for the for the government, but uh, it certainly raises questions of the solo runs that Varadkar seems to be engaging with uh, over the past uh, well, certainly 
in the not so recent time. The HSE has been urged to uh, step up to the plate because the waiting lists now for other people awaiting vital therapies and vital help um, is ever growing. And it's a front page in the Echo this morning, HSE waiting list. But the COVID cases are falling, which is good news. So whatever restrictions people are following, it seems to be working. The continuing fall in new COVID cases is a story on the front of the Independent this morning. But the warning is, even though we had 552 cases of the virus confirmed yesterday and two further deaths, this is not a time to be complacent nor to let your guard down. Uh, the English Times this morning, as the UK heads into um, a very, very severe lockdown uh, this week for, um, uh, it could be two weeks, it could be a month, but the, the Times this morning is saying it'll be much longer than that. They're saying the lockdown could last into next year, that restrictions will be uh, relaxed for Christmas and kicked back in again next year. Somewhat like they're suggesting could happen here, that we'd be in and out until there's a vaccine. We're losing more health staff because of uh, uh, COVID uh, in our hospitals. And the Times this morning says the numbers of uh, health staff off work for COVID-related issues has surged to five times the summer levels by all accounts. And the bus service is struggling. You know how, because of level five, buses are reduced to 25% because of lockdown five. That means that there's less places and the schools are reopen again this morning, which means that, uh, you know, people will be struggling to get places uh, on buses. Halloween at the weekend led to quite an amount of call-outs for members of the Garda Shikona and the fire services. Don't know how much here, but certainly Dublin was ablaze with bonfires and many of the red tops have that in quite some detail. And also, um, we hear of yet another English professional soccer player who's been diagnosed with dementia. And this, of course, is Bobby Charlton. It comes on the news over the weekend of the death of uh the great Nobby Styles, another World Cup uh, winner from the 1966 uh, squad. Uh, not from dementia, but another good one gone, really, if you like. And, you know, we know that Jack Charlton died earlier in the year, and that was tragic. And his brother Jack now, sorry, his, his brother Bobby has now come down uh, with dementia. And they say that it could well be down to the uh, heading of the soccer ball back in the 60s and 70s and to a lesser extent the 80s because they were very, very heavy. Very different to the soccer ball that they play with now. But if you follow your soccer, you'll know an awful lot more about this than, than I will. But uh, Bobby Charlton coming down with dementia now following Nobby Star's death at the weekend. Fellow sufferers, again from that era, who also suffered with dementia include uh, Martin Peters, uh, Ray Wilson, uh, Jeff Astle, and the story makes all of the papers this morning in the sporting sections, and I'm reading it from the mail today. Uh, of course, you'll probably be up all night tomorrow night as to whether or not Biden will take the crown for Trump from Trump or like the last general, uh, last presidential election in America when Trump wasn't supposed to win, he did. What will it be like? Will it be a Biden landslide or will um, Trump squeak home? The gang down in Clare certainly want Trump to uh, win the general election or the presidential election, my apologies. Certainly in and around Dubeg. And Jumbo Cairns was down there with the locals over the weekend. And they're praying that Donald Trump will defy the odds and help to save their jobs. So that's an interesting one. Of course, at the weekend as well, the very sad news of Sean Connery. And he probably wouldn't be all that happy um, because Donald Trump is saying, Donald Trump's way of paying a compliment to somebody is saying, he fixed something for me. He got something done for me. And he's saying that Sean Connery helped um, Donald Trump to get his golf course open in Scotland. Um, apparently, Trump says that Sean Connery stepped in at the last moment and said, let him build the damn thing. 
Let him build the damn thing. A bizarre tribute to Sean Connery helping him to get his golf course bid, uh, built. And also today, I have great news for you. The Holly Bow is out, which is great. I'm waiting on my copy. What's keeping it so long, lads? My copy of the Holly Bow before somebody pays. Anyway, at least it's official. The Holly Bow is out and there will be Christmas. The Neil Prenderville Show. With Tesco proudly raising much needed funds in stores this Halloween for the little heroes of CHI at Temple Street. So accentuate the positive. The Holly Bow is out and uh, also BT. Have we a photograph of BT as well? Somebody sent me a photograph of BT at the wind- at the weekend. Their Christmas windows are up and open and that's great to see. You must go in and have a look if you haven't go in and have a pop around, shop around and uh, roll by and have a look at the new Christmas uh, um, windows at Brown Thomas. So in an effort to accentuate the positive, and I love positive stories where people are doing the best they can to keep it together. There was a great post over the weekend from Ernest Cantillon. He owns Electric and he owns Sober Lane. Joins me by phone on this Monday morning. Ernest, good morning. Hey Neil, how are you? Thanks for the call. Not at all, man. We need to accentuate the positive. And I saw you posting on the Twitter machine at the weekend uh, that you had um, the busiest... Let me just get this right. Saturday night in Sober Lane, we sold more food than we ever did before, as in ever. Yeah? Ever. Yeah. Yeah. It can't have been the hop, to be honest. Sure did, still, and did it really catch you on the hop, yeah? I, it did. It's only our fourth weekend to them, and it's been building, but... Um, and Friday was very busy, so we knew Saturday would be good. But it just, I think, was a, a perfect storm with Halloween and people still on midterm. And there was loads of sports on. Um, so, you know, between rugby and soccer and GAN, all the different things. So it's a good day to be collecting in Oak Grove or, or um, uh, getting delivery or whatever. But it was just, uh, it was mental, to be honest. And at what stage on the day did you kind of say, eh, eh, we're in the weeds here, we got to be prepared for a rush? <laughs> So the, um, people can pre-order. So they, they we open at five. So they, you'd see the orders, and I think there's over fifty orders already waiting for us when we started. So that um, like before, like a month ago, if you said to me, "Or fifty orders in a night," it would have been delighted. You know, like that would have been our that was our target. Yeah. Uh, so that was so we kind of knew then. We said, "Okay, this is going to get really because we knew the rugby match wasn't until later, and we thought that would be the peak." Um, but it was just unrelenting. Um, and, um, and look, we got through it. We, we couldn't take all the orders, unfortunately. Like, it's a, it's a good complaint, but it's frustrating for the people we didn't get, to, I guess. And also, nice and also you were yeah. saying that um, that in, it, in itself now will mean that you will also start to order more food in from Irish and, more importantly, local suppliers because the bookings are good, are they, for this week and next weekend and things? Well, you, you just think that, it's, um, like, December particularly would be... Um, uh, would be would good, so we're kind of building up to that. But um, so we'll be honest, the lads the best meats in the bar in the market and upping our uh, meat order and things like that, which is, is nice. And then uh, we'll be bringing back one and probably two more staff, you know, who've been furloughed. That's like that's probably the nicest part of it, to be honest. So you're going to be um, making calls to people to say, "Come on back." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and people are dying to come back, which is nice. Uh, you know, so it's a good buzz, kind of getting the, the band back together. That's the, the nicest part of it, to be honest. So would, this time of year. would you say you did say four hundred on Saturday night? I, we were trying to work out somewhere between three and four hundred, um, which is uh, like and it, like some orders would be for one person, but some orders would be for six or eight people. So it's just a uh, I've no idea how many people we fed. If you know what I mean, we just go by the docket. Um, uh, but um, uh, it's, uh, it was um, it was a great buzz. It was a real adrenaline thing. You know, it was just one of those ones where you just like you've you've been that soldier. 
Uh, in restaurants anyone that opens their doors yeah. waiting for people to walk through it they get all my credit like it's just I mean it's scary but would you say that you know your experience on Saturday night was replicated by other uh, pub restaurants gastropubs and the likes well I suppose just from my own little sample um, it was electric first week and we were very busy as well nothing like as busy as, as Soberlin but we were, we were quite busy uh, again busier than we expected so I think and there was a nice buzz around town like Halloween isn't usually that nice and nice. Um, you know, it's kind of a nice with a lot of messing and, and stuff like that. Yeah. So I never really looked forward to an art uh, um, business, but um, it actually was a nice. Like, there was lots of people out. A lot of people never dressed up. Um, like, um, not even Halloween, just, you know, I said, close, close, where are you off? And they were going to done through their shopping in Patrick Street. But it was just, it was the only <laughs> they were going for. shopping in their yeah. Halloween gear. Yeah, but they were um, uh, getting takeaway coffees or hot ports in different places around town, the Shadow One and, and the Old was open to drink. So it was just a nice buzz, people running twos and threes. It was kind of like that run up to Christmas kind of buzz, but obviously way down uh, footfall-wise. But it was nice. Uh, I, I mean, I don't want to spoil the party, but there has been yeah. criticism about street drinking where people aren't getting takeaway pints and takeaway cocktails and they're drinking them on Patrick Street and they're drinking them in groups on Corn Market Street and the likes, you know? I don't think that's part of the plan, is it? Or maybe it's okay. No, it's not, I suppose. I suppose for us... Well, I, I'm very fond of where Sober Lane is. It's not the most conducive place to hang out outside, so it just wouldn't lend itself to that. Um, and what we're doing is um, uh, takeaway cocktails and jars that you know you, shake, you put ice into the jar, you shake them when you go home, and put add um, pour them into a glass. Then that's the the buzz. So we did sell a lot of drinks, but they would be the kind of drinks that you drink around the place. Um, but in electric, we were doing some um, hot ports and hot toddies and. Um, I don't think we any, we saw anyone for a second round, if you know what I mean, which would kind of indicate that it was just somebody walking past, getting them, and, and on again, like, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and, and, and to, some cold, ex- like, yeah, to some extent, yeah, you I have to... You'd be hanging around. Yeah, yeah, some, cold, yeah, you know, you, yeah. No, I wouldn't, but, you know, the, you have to come up with a plan B, you know? And, and I, it would be great to hope that maybe what you saw on Saturday night would be replicated more and more. Oh, big time. You know? Yeah, big time. Because for oh, now, big. we don't know what kind of a Christmas there's going to be as to when we're going to get out the other side of this restriction, you know? Yeah, it just means that we can, you know, there's a bit of hope and uh, you just kind of put the head down and, and trundle away until January or February or whenever we're open again, like, you know? Absolutely. Okay, well, I just thought it was a great story to see, you know. It was, uh, Thank you. Thank you And, and it's, important, it's important when people have good stories like that, that they post them and share them and come on air and talk about them, you know, because it gives everybody confidence going forward, I think. Yeah, I got loads of texts and messages and retweets. So it was a nice, I think people are dying for a bit of good news, to be honest. <laughs> so it was nice to be part of it, like, you know. Well done. So you benefit, some of your staff come back, your suppliers benefit, and on it goes. Great stuff. Well done. Thanks, Thank Cheers, you. Ernest. Thanks for taking the call. So that's a bit of good news for you out of uh, Sober Lane and also Electric. He said, Saturday night, we sold more food than we ever did before, as in even when open normally. It was mental. And I suppose what he wanted to say uh, was thank you. It means another one, possibly Two of our team will be back with us next week and we've put in lots of big orders for Irish food to our suppliers. Great news. Um, meanwhile, on Halloween night itself, ah, yes, there were still out there egging houses. Gillian says, my house was egged in Shanachiel. The little scuts weren't even from here. A gang of about 20 of them out and about together. Would they like it if I went outside their house and egged their mammies and daddies' homes? The playground in Carrigaline was vandalised uh, late ni- last night. It's uh, closed until Tuesday now. The fire brigade were there last night. Well, if the fire brigade were there last night, I wonder, did they set things alight in Carrigaline? What is it with playgrounds 
And that's not the first time the damage has been done to, to Cargilline. Susan says, um, our house was destroyed in eggs Saturday night, but at least it was better than last year when a firework was lit and put through our letterbox. Up in Ballyvalan, my stomach was in knots all day Saturday with the stress of worry about what might happen uh, that night as we've had bad experiences with Halloween down through the years. They were like ants last night coming from all directions, forming in big gangs. It's so intimidating, not a guard to be seen. To make things worse, their parents were dropping them off. Yeah, brain-dead parents, huh? It's a disgrace. I don't know what the young ones today are at at all. Eggs hit off our living room window Saturday night, seconds after my mom dropped my daughter home and me closing the door. There was no one around that we could see and we were just after saying that it was very quiet around. All of a sudden, bang. I was driving into Tesco and Mahan Saturday after 8pm. Two young lads carrying a tray of eggs each. It doesn't take a genius to know what the lads were buying eggs on Halloween night for. Why did they sell them the eggs? Uh, we had a problem near a home with fireworks, as uh, Eileen. It was like a battlefield. Our pet was frantic. We had a terrible night of it. My son rang the guards and was told there was nothing they could do about it. I see two problems here. Fireworks are illegal and we're in lockdown and shouldn't be congregating. These young people do what they like without consequences. I'm elderly too and I would have been terrified if it was on my own. The guards are copping out. Uh, why are they not doing their job? And finally, Dahi says, luckily we had no issues this, this weekend, but the last six weeks previous to uh, Halloween, our house was attacked with eggs. Our house was attacked with rotten fruit, stones, bits of wood. I live with my parents who are both in their 60s. My father suffers extremely, terribly with his mental health. On every occasion, I contacted the guards due to this particular group of minors, 16, 17 years old. I'm fully aware that if I laid a hand on any of them, I'd be the one in the height of it. Gardaí, unfortunately, were never around or had a car available, despite these guys showing up at the same time every Friday night and making this abundantly clear to the guards that it was the same time every Friday night. So, I had to install a CCTV system for the house in order to record the actions of the group and send it on to the guards for evidence. This weekend, the weather was bad, so we're thinking this did uh, work in our favour. Uh, and they didn't bother showing up. I'm not sure what's going to what's going through young people's minds these days. I don't understand how they find this kind of carry on hilarious. These days, we all know the importance of our mental health, and I think if they realise that their actions can have a serious detrimental effect uh, on people psychologically, they might think twice. You might think so. I would doubt it, uh, because this is not a new phenomenon. Calls and texts on the way after these. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. And you can text 0868-104-106. Thank you. Text assist to me. Did you know Ernest Cantillon and Colin Ross have developed Red Earl Irish Whiskey that was seen on the shelves in China recently? Another great cork story. I did not know that. Pity I didn't know when I was talking to Ernst. I would have congratulated him on that. Another good news story. Not all great news, though. Certainly from the point of view of people who are out and about observing other carry-on at the weekend. Louise says, hope you're keeping well. I am, thank you. Friday night, I was passing Washington Street after collecting a takeaway. I went past the courthouse. This is Friday night. I went past the courthouse on that street anyway. I saw a group of teens and young adults uh, on the courthouse steps and in under the courthouse arches. The weather, you see, was horrific that night, and I was soaked to the bone. So I was thinking to myself, 
Why in God's name were these people out and about, let alone during COVID gathering? I'd say there were at least 15 or so of them together, all drinking from what I could see. They were all sitting down, sipping away on their cans, not a care in the world. They were a bit rowdy and loud. I even saw one girl urinating at the side of the courthouse with her pants down and her butt out in front of the two lads. They were making a big scene. Had she any respect for herself at all? She seemed pretty drunk. Have people lost the run of themselves? I don't know how we're going to control this virus if this carry-on keeps up. I was totally disgusted, says Louise. Well, in spite of the carry-on you're seeing, the numbers are coming down. Um, here's uh, another one for you. Came in from a taxi driver. Uh, I am seething here after what I saw on Saturday night. I'm a taxi driver who's been badly affected by the lockdown. I am not one to play the blame game, but my God, I just can't keep my anger anymore after what I saw Saturday night. Every corner I turned, I came across teenagers in groups and large gatherings. Sighting number one, the courthouse steps. This seems to be the new drinking spot for them these days. There they were, drinking away, not a bother in the world, with their takeaway pints. Yes, that's right, takeaway pints. Loads of bars are doing it. This was only 9pm, and so many of them were half cut by that time. When I was driving down Corn Market Street, I came across a fight where a man was knocked to the ground. His friends were trying to help him, but they were totally hammered as well. When I was driving up towards Shandon Street, I looked across uh, to uh, the uh, cathedral at Pope's Quay. That'd be St. Mary's Church, I'd say. Just like the courthouse, there was another gathering of teenagers on the steps, messing and doing the fool. Where are their parents? I then got a fare to Balafihan. On approaching Tory Top Road, it was like something from Munster Final Day. The crowds of teens were inebriated, to say the least. 30, perhaps 40 of them. I saw many of them who looked younger than 18 drinking cans along the road. It must have been around about half past nine at this stage. They didn't have a care in the world. They even tried to egg my taxi. Again, where are the parents of these little thugs? I looked across at the park and I saw a few of them climbing the high fence. Must have been about eight feet high. Off into the park they were going on the lash. Around 10 p.m. I got my last taxi fare up by Lidl and Toker. I really thought now I'd seen it all, but not. Another large group of teens gathering, drinking cans and falling around the place. There must have been around 40 of them around Lidl and Toker. Where are the parents, I ask again? They are the ones to blame, in my opinion. They are freely allowing them to leave their houses to meet up with their friends. Thanks to these careless parents, we're back in lockdown, as it's these teenagers who have spread this disease by their selfish carry-on. I've been a taxi driver many a Halloween night. This, by far, was the worst I've seen. Uh, Could I use your program to say this? Parents, cop on. Have a word with your child or children. If you can't control them, you shouldn't have them, says Con, the taxi driver. And then another one here. uh, See attached here from Murphy's Rock Facebook page for an order of 16 porn star martini cocktails Sunday. It was also an order for 24 of these cocktails, but they appear to have taken that one down. It's a disgrace while the rest of us are in lockdown in our homes for the long weekends that pubs are facilitating house parties by providing these cocktails in large numbers. Uh, And then I saw uh, photographs then of the porn star cocktails that you're describing, 16 of them uh, to be... But hang on a second, like, what if if you had a a family of people who ordered 16 and there's four of them? Yeah, so they get four each because they want to have a few cocktails at home on Saturday night or Friday night. Like it's not as if there are sixteen people waiting to drink these sixteen cocktails um, 
and in one house, like I mean, it's like unless there's another order for another sixteen and so on and so forth. I mean, people are still entitled to click and collect, aren't they? Last time I checked, you know, bring it home and drink it at home. Where's the problem with that? As long as it's not a house party. I mean, if there are house parties still going on, that's another matter entirely. Anyway, back to the phone lines we go, because I, I saw that uh, Thomas Gould, uh, Sinn Féin TD, spokesperson on addiction, recovery and well-being, getting very annoyed with regards to um, another aspect of this. It's called dial-a-drink, and he joins me by phone. Thomas, good morning. Good morning, Neil. You, you don't actually have an issue with the takeaway pints or the takeaway cocktails or the takeaway slushies and stuff, do you? No, because like we want to support the restaurants and the bars. So, and the other thing is, we trust them that when they're doing this click and collect, that the people who are collecting are over eighteen and not drunk. So, like we know, restaurants and bars operate safely. No, if someone is selling too many, obviously, I would trust that they would. The, the management will keep an eye on that. But there's no like, way that this kind of click and collect in huge numbers like I've just described is actually fueling house parties. Is there any worry about that? Well, listen, there might be the exception, but what I've seen online and I've seen in town is people getting an ear drink or ear cocktail. Uh, I spoke to a friend of mine over the weekend and they ordered four cocktails in while they were having a meal and it was a, it was a kind of a fun aspect to have. Brilliant idea, and yeah. I talked to the people, the guy you were talking earlier from Soberly and the, the electric, like that's, that's the kind of positive stuff we want around this. But, but what about the photographs and the videos that are circulating of people congregating in big groups on Patrick Street, on Corn Market Street uh, and other places where they're just ferrying drink out to them and they're drinking it on the streets? Well, then we've got a problem with whatever that pub landlord is. But my experience, the vast majority of pub landlords have been doing excellent and they've had a really tough time with the COVID. So I hope one or two people are letting everyone else down. But my experience, and I was in town Friday evening, I was driving through and you could see people sitting around either having a drink or a coffee or maybe a hot toddy. Uh, and people would just walk. You see, Neil, people have nowhere to go and you can't, you can't be locked in for six weeks. So providing people are social distancing, are following the rules, they're still entitled to go for a walk once they're within the five kilometers. And you can see that around town. The problem is where people abuse it and we need landlords to be extra vigilant. There. But that's fine. And I know of people who were inside in the city and they were sitting down on those plinths, you know, those areas, the concrete bollards yeah. you can sit on having a cup of coffee and stuff. But the stuff that I'm getting over the weekend is people were langers. But Neil, it's the weekend, it was Halloween, and like I had people who were contacting me now at the weekend, especially related to fireworks, and as, as you all claimed earlier, people throwing eggs and antisocial behaviour. But compared to previous years, and I didn't talk, I, I didn't see the gathering report yet or the fire brigade, but from what I can see, it wasn't as worse as previous years because there was years where it was very bad. Like, and I'm just talking to people I know a lot of people have uh, kept like I stayed with my own family at the weekend and we were playing Snap Apple and we were putting our heads into um, uh, buckets of, um, of powder or what have you playing games so and I think a lot of families and if you look at Facebook the amount of people who had floor on their face this weekend because of the games is great you know but the whole issue for young people is a huge problem Neil we've got four more weeks of this lockdown uh, most of the, the youth clubs, most of the dance clubs, the arts, most of the sport, all the indoor sport is closed. And what you have, no, and I, I think, I'm not sure if we discussed this back in April, 
like we're just telling young people to stay in and that's not what young people do and we need to come up with something we're lucky they have school to go to now but what do we, what do someone between 16 and 26 do at the weekend or at night when they're normally with their friends? And is that the reason why people keep on saying where are their parents, where are their parents? It's not the parents' fault. They just can't keep them in prison. Well, you're a parent yourself, Neil. Can you lock young people in for 24 hours a day for six weeks? No. I, I don't think... So what you're asking is the parents to... To speak to them, to, and you're asking young people to Yeah, but it's a different ballgame entirely than when you're 15, 20, 30, or 40 of them locked in different uh, in different suburbs, you know? Just drinking cans like a deal. Well, you see, Neil, that's the one, that's where we need a community girls, and I raised this issue. What? We were promised 20 community girls last year, we only got six. And if you had guys driving around, you see them there on the mountain bikes and the cycle road, and they get to know the young people and talking with them, and Sometimes you just need someone to have a chat with them and say, listen, guys, you can't go around the big gangs. Can you separate? Can you say it, you know, just with your friends? And it's it's going to be hard, but you need you need people on the ground to talk to them, you know, because most of the kids I deal with are good, decent kids. That it's just a lot at the moment. They need, they need someone to support them and they need to do the right thing. And they're turning more to alcohol, are they? Well, you see, what they're doing is... What we've seen now is we've seen young people who have never been in trouble, who have always been good kids now, getting involved, some of them getting involved with doing, you know, congregating in 20 groups of 20 or 30 or getting involved with alcohol. And actually we've seen some of them getting involved with drugs. You know, we've no, we've seen that in the first lockdown and if it happened in the first lockdown. And that's why I'm very concerned that's something we, we need. We need a plan for young people because we're going to have to live with the COVID for a long time and just expecting young people to lock down for six and eight and ten weeks every couple of months, you know, that's not a plan. But they're the guidelines. I mean, do Sinn Féin have a better plan? Well, what we're saying is, like, I actually raised it in the door in, back in April about we need to develop a strategy with all the youth groups. Like, I, I get emails now from different groups that are shut down, your gyms, Taekwondo, boxing clubs, all these places where young people would be constructively involved. We need to engage with these groups and come up with a strategy to give young people somewhere to go. Like, my own daughter does, uh, does dance and kamoki and all these things. We need to... We need to get a plan to get all these facilities for young people to keep them involved. So you're like suggesting that. that we should reopen all of those? Well, no, I'm not saying we should reopen. It depends, no. And, but we certainly need these groups to be involved with the young people and be contacting them and seeing what we can do. But why can, I mean, like everybody is suffering. Why, why can't younger generation also be aware of that and that everybody has to step up? Like it's not just them, you know? It's all. You see, it's actually people now. People now are working from home, or they can't go within five kilometers of their home, and they can't see their loved ones. It's like it's everybody is in this. Yeah, but there's three groups that have actually come out worse during this crisis. Thing. You had elderly people, people with disabilities, and young people, and we've seen that. We know these are the facts. Like old people are feeling alone and isolated, and there's huge issues there with the isolation. There were people with disabilities, the services that were there before, aren't there now. No, some of them have returned. So, and then we have young people expected to be locked. You see, Neil, it just goes back to the whole 
young people themselves want to be out there, want to be meeting friends, they want to be doing things. And the other worries, and I'm talking to parents, um, some some children and some teenagers are going up to their bedroom going on the phone. Like, is that what we want the children to be on, on social media constantly? Because that's not good for them. We, we, we need them to have some kind of... And what we're seeing is both in older people and in younger people, more isolation. What are we going to do with regards to this dial-a-drink thing that you were in the echo with uh, over the weekend? Uh, dial-a-drink services have flourished because pub closure. Because of pub closures, several of these services are operating, uh, delivering alcohol late at night, customers ordering alcohol to be delivered during house parties and field gatherings. What, how does that work? You just, just, you just click onto some link in Facebook and some character rocks around with a load of drink in the boot, is it? That's, that's about it, Neil. In, in a nutshell, you've got these anonymous online suppliers that just put up a mobile phone and you ring them up and they just arrive at your house. And like, this isn't an issue that that's just happened because of COVID. This, this issue was always there because the problem we had in the past, no one checked how old the person was getting the drink. So you could have 15, 14, 15, 16 year old boys and girls getting alcohol delivered. And as the driver would arrive, and as long as he got paid, he did his job, and he he got his payment, and he paid for the drink. And what we're saying is, like, there needs to be restrictions there on regulations. And if you're delivering a drink, you know that the person is over 18. That's if you're delivering, you're delivering within the opening hours, let's say, of an off license. That you're not delivering to a house party at 12 o'clock or 1 o'clock in the morning. Like that. That's the whole issue where we see. We see problems with young people in the fields and they're following these guys and these guys are dropping Yeah, off. I know, I know that, but the, pub, but the pubs seem to be at it as well now. Here's the text. What about a yeah, certain bar in the city? Orders for 26 more martinis. That's a house party order. If you rang in an order, it was taking an hour to fill it. Uh, this is an example of how house parties are still rampant. And by the way, Neil, you talk about figures being down. Figures are down because testing is down. So 26 martinis, that's a house party, isn't it? Well, that seems excessive, but the problem, but the point is, that pub or restaurant has to stop serving the time is it's time restricted, and also they have a record of who's collected it and the phone number and the person who's purchased it is over eighteen. The problem with daily drink is you have underage people getting drink, you have people getting drink in the middle of the night, all the hours of the day and the night. Like, an off-license can only sell alcohol up to 10pm. A bar can only sell alcohol up to a certain time, depending if it's a week. So they're spend. probably stocking up with the martinis then, is it? But, but the thing is, at least there's restrictions there, and you know the people who've got it are over 18, and you know who they are. And another pub then that's uh, alleged that, they are, that they're using their car park, where people are just literally sitting in their cars, and they're ferrying pints and cocktails out to them in the cars. Well, listen, anyone who abuses the situation, like we've heard stories how some pubs open up during the COVID and the Gary had to go into them. So what I would say is anyone who's not doing it right, the Gary should get involved. And if anyone has any concerns, they should contact the Gary. But my own feeling about landlords and restaurants and bars is that the vast majority are doing the right. My my whole issue is a regulation to anonymous people delivering drinks all hours of the day and night to young people and to host parties, that needs to be stopped. Okay, just before I let you go, Village Magazine at the weekend reported um, and I think Varadkar is saying that it's grossly defamatory, so we'll see where that goes, that he um, sent a copy of the agreement 
that was made between the government and the Irish Medical Organization to the second group of uh, medical practitioners, the NAGP. And he sent that confidential document round uh, by courier. Um, Fianna Fáil are being very quiet on this, including Micheál Martin, who hasn't uh, really said anything in public about it. What's expected to happen with regards to Varadkar tomorrow, I believe? Yeah, well, we're, we're hoping that he will come into the dial tomorrow and, and, and give a statement and answer questions. What we don't want to do is him come into the dial, make a statement and walk out the door. Look, it, it needs to be dealt with. He needs to be upfront and honest. And if we have any questions, which we have, uh, like, if he gave them a briefing, Neil, that's fair enough. But he gave them a, count, a, a confidential document contract like, that doesn't happen, you know? Well, we believe that shouldn't have happened, but we need to speak to him and we need to ask him these questions because he's the toughest that he wants the Taoiseach when he did this. And people are really concerned that the Taoiseach is giving confidential documents out. Like, and it was stamped as confidential, not to be released. He, he would have seen well, that on it. Well, the thing about it, he was the Taoiseach. He, he should have... He should know what he can and can't do. And listen, I don't want to prejudge him, but I think he needs to explain this in detail. He just can't issue a statement and say that it's, he's take, looking to take legal advice. He needs to come into the door, be honest. If there's a problem, we need to deal with it. If there's not, then we need to move on. Because there's a, we, we would an awful lot to discuss now, and we don't need things getting in, uh, getting in the way if they're not important. But like, he was the Taoiseach. He is the tallest there. This is big stuff. Okay. And do you expect uh, Micheál Martin to have anything to say on the matter? I mean, well, is Micheál Martin technically... Micheál Martin is Taoiseach is technically his boss, right? Well, as far as I know, Micheál made a statement as a Friday or Saturday that he thought it wasn't best practice and it was uh, it was irregular or it was inappropriate, I think, is the word he used. No. For the Taoiseach to make that statement about the tallest uh, is... It's, it's it's serious. It's, it's really serious. So that's why we need the Taoiseach to come into the dial tomorrow and answer the questions. Let's see what happens tomorrow. Thank you for taking the call, Tommy. As always, Tommy Gould, TD, Sinn Féin, TD, Cork North Central. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Back after the break. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. Just on me, Hall. Incidentally, um, clearly, this is an interesting email. Clearly, me, Hall Martin didn't have much to do with rearing his own kids. Children's clothes are absolutely essential. Yeah, somebody came out last week and said that children's shoes and clothes aren't essential. I have twin boys aged four and another two. This morning, one of the twins has magically grown out of his vests. Magically. Also, I'm not going to get another four weeks from his shoes, I can tell you. The smaller fellow's okay. He lives on hand-me-downs. I need new vests and I need them today, not next week. I also need socks. I always need socks. That sock fairy or devil spends a lot of time in my house. Bjorn Martin is acting like a school teacher from the, the little house on the prairie days and thinks we're his students who must obey his tyrannical law or else. As a Cork woman, it saddens me to say this, but here goes. Bring back Leo. If you don't see the children's socks and underwear as essential, then you're completely out of touch and do not deserve the honor of being called our leader. 
and that's Marie by email to neil at uh, redfm.ie. There are people struggling clearly. Uh, a texter says, I was wondering about the addictions to slot machines. Uh, there are two points arising from this. One is that most people don't realize they suffer from an addiction to slot machines. And secondly, a lot of older people are the ones who do spend time in these slot machine houses during the daytime. Is It, it is often the only social interaction these people have. And I was wondering how they're all coping during the lockdown while these places are closed. You will often find that when they are in these places, it keeps their heating and electricity bills down as they spend all day in the slot machine houses. Thank you for that observation. I couldn't help but wonder, are you one of those actually that maybe um, also was up until they were closed, somebody who went to, um, you know, slot machine arcades and gambling arcades for long periods of time. You don't say, but I, I kind of get the, the feeling that perhaps you are. I don't mean, mean to wrong you. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Text 0868104106 to the phones. We go, Nora, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you? I'm good. What Tommy Gould is saying there, yeah. um, really, is that it is yeah. impossible to ask teens to stay at yeah. home. Mind you, a, te- a, 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 pension, a pensioner takes yeah. umbrage with that, actually. I see some texts yeah. coming in saying, he keeps talking about youngsters not being able to stay in for six weeks. Well, what about pensioners? You know? Well, it's true. Absolutely. Anyway. Well, I suppose, yeah, I do. Look, I do agree with him. Um, I have um, three older, I four altogether, but I have three older children. Um, my daughter is coming up on 16. My son is 18 and my other boy is coming up on 21. And I suppose, like, since the beginning of all of the lockdown, Neil, we've been very strict because I have lupus. I have an autoimmune disease myself and my mum has COP. So we were obviously very strict with the rules and, you know, the the restrictions because of my own health. Um, And they were always very mindful of that, um, you know, and I I can honestly say wholeheartedly um, they've all followed everything by the book. So it's very difficult for them to be told, you know, you can't see your friend, you can't do this, you can't do that. There's gangs of teens everywhere. It's so hard, like, but I suppose, like, from, I agree with Thomas School from the mental health aspect because, like, my son now would be in Leaving Cert this year. So, you know, they missed half of last year. That's going to be a massive struggle. And he's already struggling, to be fair. Mm. He's a really sporty guy. He goes from school to Youth Work Ireland down to Joe. He plays for Vincent. So Thomas Gould would actually know Callum quite well. And mm. um, he plays soccer. He goes to the gym. All of these things. And these are all of the things that he would do every day. Um, he can't do them anymore. So he's kind of started doing a bit of working out out in the back garden. But it's not the same because you don't have that interaction. And he's a child that needs, or a young adult, that needs that interaction. So um, we could see him really going downhill um, to the point where he's actually having counselling at the moment now through Jigsaw to try and help cope with all of this, I suppose, really, and the difficulty around, you know, um, they're worried about bringing something home to me. You know, they miss their friends. They miss their activities. He's clearly clearly person, not all of them. You know? Clearly not all of them, though. It, you know, yeah. uh, here's another one. It was like Oktoberfest on the Cold K on Saturday oh, night. Kids getting yeah. drink with these click and collect yeah, services. Yeah. What I yeah, saw was unbelievable. Great. So clearly yeah. not everybody is towing the line. No, everybody isn't. No, um, I do agree like with you that everybody has to do their bit. Absolutely, 100%. Even the kids, even the younger generation, because it's probably going to affect them more in the long term. Yeah, but really, I don't like, mind. Like, see, it's, forget about me because, like, mm. my son's 26, my daughter's 24. Yeah. Like, they're, they're mm. working, you know, they're getting on with yeah, their lives. I know. Uh, like, I, know. I don't have Indeed. a 16 or 17 year old. 
No, it's you know now it's so hard. Like my little girl, my little girl. And if I did, I probably would be tempted to allow them to go out. It's very hard not to now. It is very hard not to. Like mine leave the house and I'd say let's we're be going, honest about it. Going with, yeah, let's you know? be honest about it. No, it's very difficult. Um like my daughter now is coming up on sixteen and she would be a very quiet girl. She goes from school, she's Irish dance since she was two. So it's all she knows. Um she adores it, absolutely adores it. She trains three times a week, competes every weekend, um it's all she knows since she's been younger and she would go from school to training and that's actually where her friends are are in school and training she doesn't go out and about like that's her thing and obviously since the beginning of all of this um, she dances for the Omani Academy in Douglas and um, since the beginning of all of this um, she's missed out on all of that and it's had an awful impact mm. Neil on her mental health she doesn't get out of bed most days um, you know when we were in the lockdown proper lockdown really it was very difficult to keep her motivated but that's why they want the schools um, to stay open you see yeah, no, the schools are great, but they miss what they love doing, Neil. I mean... So it's the after school, of, it's at night, it's yeah, just... Yeah, you know, oh, definitely. A lot yeah. of kids I mean, just going up to their room and just going yeah, and gaming. Yeah, oh, come here, they are. Like, now, in fairness, um, teachers, um, you know, in all of these extracurricular activities have done their utmost. Um, Emily's two teachers, Carl and Louise, have done Zoom classes on and off for a while. Um, it's very difficult to teach Irish dancing via Zoom, to be honest, Neil, but they did do their very, very, but very yeah, best. But yeah, could you imagine you know, if we didn't have all of these alternatives? No, sure, where would like, we be? You know. No, now they are on about starting it back up again because obviously before the lockdown came in with the way the new restrictions had come in before that, the stage three restrictions um, the Irish dance has, uh, classes, excuse me, had to close again. So they've actually been out for quite a while. Um, I know on Kogal at the moment are trying to sign some petition and get some letters up to you know the Minister for Mental Health and all of that about the impact that it's having on all of these boys and girls. You're saying um, that this is a real know, impact, like that it needs absolutely. to be taken seriously. Absolutely. Oh, listen, it's just, and you know what now, it really isn't just Emily and her friends, and this is what people don't understand, like, I met her teacher, Carl, for um, a coffee a couple of weeks back. She's heartbroken, because these girls are her girls. They've grown up with her. She's not seen them in months, only via computer. You know, her dance teacher. Very, very hard, her teacher. Yeah. She's she treats them like they are her own children. How do the lads really, feel then you know? when they see lots of other teens out? I mean, I see an oh, awful lot of them in Douglas where they're just... just, just yeah, they're everywhere. Well, we're in Churchfield and I went down the other night to get milk or something like that now and passed up and there was easily 15 teenage girls. Um, and as I'm sure you probably know as well as I do, teenage girls walk in herds. They can't walk by themselves. They like walk in, in big groups yeah. all together at the same time. But they were all swapping phones and they were swapping their bottles of coke and, and I was looking at the going like you're yeah, actually having a laugh here I am practically arguing Neil actually with my own children arguing to say you have to stay and you have to play your parts I know this is hard this is what we need to do okay. and they're just like but mum I went out there and there's 12 lads down the field playing soccer. I know, it's frustrating. But I, I'm just trying yeah. to explain that it faded their bit. But right. like, I have an older son who is on the spectrum and he went to the NLN for two years to prepare him for third level college. 
and he started college this year, September, um, which is great. Um, but now they've switched to online learning I and know. his anxiety is just gone out through the roof. I know, I know. Um, he just can't cope with it because he's autistic. He needs that guidance. And he needs routine and everything. He okay. needs routine. It's so difficult. But like I said now, I already have one child in counselling. I have another girl who I am really worried about. Genuinely, really concerned about. That's the reality it's very of all worrying as a parent. It really is. It's awfully hard. It's right, like Thomas Sewell said, that even if they could try and get something up and running, anything at all, um, just to try and keep these kids ticking over. Okay, because Nora, like you said, it's not natural for them to be locked no, up. No, sorry, really. not you know, for anyone, not. and difficult no, for them no. because they old are young. Yeah, yeah. You know, they want to be no, out there. No. They want to be doing their thing. Thanks, Nora. Appreciate it. it. Look no after yourself and the children. Back after ten. Text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Well, access to outdoor activities. It's kind of interesting. I was reading this morning in The Guardian that uh, they're going into um, a fairly strict lockdown in the UK from Thursday. But can I tell you that The Guardian this morning is speculating that golf and tennis and swimming will be reprieved from Thursday's COVID ban in the UK. They're considering a more flexible approach to outdoor sports. And I wonder, will the same follow here? They might start relaxing different aspects because in the UK they're saying, well, you probably will be allowed to play golf, play tennis and go swimming. So they're taking a bit more pragmatic approach to it really with regards to outdoor activity and people's mental and physical health, particularly in sporting activity that is um, very much one on one, like swimming and, you know, golf is like... <laughs> Take a look, think about golf and the outdoors and all that space around you uh, and to some extent uh, tennis as well um, here's one from Anne who says when, my, when asking my 9 year old grandson what he wanted from Santi this year the first thing he asked is uh, for Santi to take the virus away can Santi take the virus away I thought it was sad to hear this and see how it's affecting the kids I really hope that he gets his wish as he thinks Santi is magical and he can do this my three grandchildren live in Kerry and it's so hard not seeing them again with this lockdown so it's another example really of how you know kids can be quite deep actually you know with regards to what they think of and what they worry about and what works them up uh, and I suppose they, they, they might be suffering in silence, a lot of them. Text 0868104106, pick up the phone on 1850104106. And over the weekend, of course, Sean Connery passed away. Um, yeah, great. He, he probably was the best Bond, you know. And after that, then it's kind of, then it's probably a discussion as to who was the second best Bond. Do you know what I mean? But very sad. Another good one gone. Uh, but the Cork International Film Festival continues, albeit differently know digitally online and we have some great digital passes to give away this week for the 65th cork international film festival runs from the 8th which is next sunday until the 15th of november and we're media partners so every day we have 10 digital passes uh, to give away Um, complimentary access to 10 digital festival screenings of your choice. So you'll get to watch them yourselves for free. This is the 65th and all movies are available to view from opening gala night on Sunday next. And they'll remain available for people to watch them for the rest of the week. And if you start watching a film, you have 30 hours to finish it. Okay, so further details in the film festival at corkfilmfest.org. So right across the week, we want you to identify the actor, the missing word, and the film, right? So don't do anything just now. I'll play it a few times between now and midday. The actor, the missing word, and the film. My dear girl, there are some things that just aren't done, such as drinking 53 above a temperature of 38 degrees Fahrenheit. 
That's as bad as listening to the Beatles without earmuffs. The actor, the missing word, and the film. We'll have some fun with that across the week. All right. We'll open the phone lines around about a quarter to midday on that one. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Lots of texts. I'll come back to them in a few minutes' time. But Chris, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Sorry, I didn't get you before ten. Uh, just ran out of time, so thanks for holding. Uh, the kids and uh, you know activity, sports, matches, interaction. Go ahead. Yeah, look, look, we all have opinions on COVID, and no matter where you go, work, shop, everyone has an opinion on it. And look, opinions are like confetti on a bookmaker's floor. Like, but my my main point here is that it's very unfair on the kids. We're doing them a disservice by not playing matches. And for a country that every six o'clock and nine o'clock news we're listening to and during the but day... But they're training, Chris. They're, they're, I see loads of clubs training. No, it's, it's very monotonous, Neil. They, they, they need targets. Like, I'm a cross-country course, coach myself, uh, cross-country and track. Uh, I'm involved in soccer and GA as well, but... Um, it's very monotonous the, the, the kids are naturally competitive like you know they need goals need something to strive for the same thing every night and, and, and to be honest with you some of their playing pitches and their fields have been closed even though they're allowed to train but they've been closed and uh, another fact is as well that if you're up to 17 you can train but 89 you can't I mean come on like does, does, does COVID have a does COVID know if you're elite or sub-elite? Does COVID know? No, it's, well, it's more to do with age and build, you know? Uh, As to when I you define somebody an adult and when you define somebody a child. I, but, you know, that's the... I, I, I get it, I get it. Out. And look, to be honest, with you two people, and God rest their souls, and, and, and my condolences to their families, but there's been two children, uh, sorry, two kids, uh, or young adults, under the age of 25. One died in April, and one died Sunday. Again, my condolences, but... I mean, you're on more anti-social behaviour. These kids are going to leave sport. And the fact of the matter is, the statistics show that they're not, um, not dying from it. I know they can be carriers and I know someone's going to ring in and someone's going to give out. But the fact of the matter, these are our future doctors, nurses, solicitors, bus drivers, uh, radio broadcasters, builders, coaches. And we're doing them a massive disservice. Like, I mean, the mental health problem, the anxiety kids are going to run with, I mean, it's just untold. But you know what? Maybe this is, maybe the restrictions that are in place regarding sport and outdoor activity, maybe that's why the numbers are falling. Do you not get that? Numbers, uh, are, numbers are dropping, you know, and uh, wouldn't be surprised another week or two we might see some announcement relaxing restrictions. Maybe so, but then what happens again when they go up? Do we, do we yo-yo all the time? Yeah, yeah, um, and along will come a vaccine and we'll all be hunky-dory, Yeah. Yeah, look, yeah, correct, but will the damage be done then? For so, so, but what price is being paid? Are you referring to youth suicide or self-harm or depression? All of the above. Right. Anxiety. Every single thing possible. I mean, even the greatest minds out there, right? The greatest minds out there. Give them nothing to do and give, leave them be idle and they will start getting anxiety just as much. We're all humans. Like, we're all, you know, sport is a massive distraction, you know what I mean? And they're on the boat, all the kids and the gangs. Look, I won't get into it for another day. Like, but to be honest with you, I think I think society as a whole has been diluted. I mean, kids know these days. Like, you see it on WhatsApp stuff. They give abuse to the guards. Why I mean, you work? You work with young people. Why is it more than ever before? I've seen 
a massive increase in, in uh, underage drinking and kids' relationship with alcohol. Yes, Don't get me wrong now, I'm not giving out, I have no issue at all with alcohol in the wide earthly world, if you can handle it. But why is it such an attraction to kids? It's discipline. It's, uh, they haven't been disciplined. My father, now, Garrison Soul, said a very, very clever thing that, that always stayed with me for years for my own kids. Kids are like trees sw- swaying in the wind. And if you don't put a splint, kids are like young trees. And if you plant a tree in the morning and the wind blows, and if there's no guide, a.k.a. a splint or a 4 by 2 propped up next to that tree to leave that tree go straight, in this case, guidance, it'll always grow bent. I mean, like, there's no, what could you say, um, they need guidance, they, they need discipline, the, the punishments, I mean, they seem to get away with a lot more. I mean, the respect has gone, you know what I mean? You see, you don't have to look very fair, like, you know, there's just there seems to be lack of respect. And I'm not going to blame that in COVID. I think that's just for another day. I mean, we need stringer uh, uh, restrictions. I, I think education is another big thing. I mean, I think every single person in the country, when they get their children's allowance, we should, there should be a mandatory uh, parenting course, one day a month, for the nine months you're pregnant, learn about nutrition, learn about sport. I mean, a lot of people out there are just ignorant and they don't know. Yeah. But I've, I've no doubt if they were taught that they said, you know what? I'm actually going to bring my kids to sport. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to do, do you think there's still that. a lot of parents out there that haven't a clue as to what food is good and bad for their kids and what effect uh, it has on their bodies I, I and their brain? Correct. I genuinely wouldn't believe, I wouldn't uh, tear them off to one brush. But I just think that monkey see, monkey do, they don't know no better. And times have changed. Educate the people, help them, help them. And then, and then after that, if the decisions are made, well, look, you know, you're going to get a few bad apples in any, in any orchard. Do you know what I mean? But I think as a whole, as a country, because we are a good country, you know, I think we should, we need to put more money into educating how we do things better. You know what I mean? I mean, you're not telling me that kids with a little bit of guidance and parents with a little bit of guidance that things couldn't have been be better from? All right. Of course. Okay. You know, and look, I know I'm divulging off from the fact, like, but come on, like, listen, I'm involved now with, with kids in a few different codes. Um, uh, and, and they are good kids, to be fair, from like, but you see them, like, the kids are naturally competitive. If you tell kids, don't take a score... Or you tell adults don't take the score. The kids will tell you the score at the end of the game. You know, they want competition. There's nothing for them to aim for and training doesn't do it then, yeah? Okay. Neil, I need, we all need goals. Every human needs goals. Whether you're in sport or not, you need a goal. You need a why. You need a goal how to get out of bed in the morning. You need a reason, you know? And I just feel sorry for a lot of people. Like, you know, and mental health, no more than ever, I think there's going to be a massive explosion in mental health services and psychiatry post-COVID. It, it's already here now. So post-COVID is just going to even be bigger. Let the kids play sport if it's outdoors. Yes, I understand indoors and ventilation, etc., etc. Kids are doing, or uh, teachers are doing Trojan work at the moment. Uh, doctors, nurses, the whole lot of them, you know, that people that get up, no matter what your industry, that get up and go into an office of some sort. Kudos, I, I respect you. Same with builders, we're all going to work in the morning, you know what I mean? I'm a self-employed builder myself. But I'm just saying, this is our future. And if this was an orchard, you, you, you'd mind what you planted. So let's mind our kids. Leave them compete because it's just monotonous. Am I going to lose kids to sport? Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lines open at one 106 Just let me stop for a moment because um, what was deemed as the biggest English libel trial of the 21st century has just been decided upon in the UK. 
and Johnny Depp has lost his high court libel action against The Sun. Uh, there was an article published in The Sun which labelled Johnny Depp as a wife beater. It involved uh, Amber Heard. The proceedings were in July, if you remember. I'm just just um, flicking through this off the on the hoof here. And this morning, just after 10 o'clock this morning, uh, the judge, uh, after three weeks of testimony, which went on in the summertime, um, it, also, it also went into quite a lot more than just this allegation of wife, wife beating. Uh, and domestic violence. It also uh, delved into uh, Johnny Depp's drug habit and uh, abuse of drugs and, and alcohol. He had a very vo- volatile uh, two-year marriage, and uh, he sued uh, news group newspapers NGM, which is the Sun, because of the article claiming he was violent to his ex-wife. And he has lost that uh, high court libel action, and I guess costs against him as well. So that's just breaking news this morning. I pass it on to you. I've been following the story. That's the update on it. Can I just? Um, I didn't get to read this out on Friday because I literally just ran out of time. Uh, and my apologies to the lovely young man who wrote it and sent it to me. And let me read it out. He is referring to his dear friend uh, Mark O'Sullivan, twenty-six-year-old Mark, uh, who was shot to death in his own home. And he said, I'm writing to you in relation to the tragedy that happened to the O'Sullivan family. I knew Mark well. We were very good friends and we went to college together. I just need everyone to understand that he was the kindest person ever. He would never hurt anyone. It just wasn't in Mark's nature. When Anne, his mother, was diagnosed with cancer earlier this year, he put everything in his own life on hold to take care of his ma'am. He cooked and cleaned while she was indisposed. What happened to his family came as a complete shock, but Mark did not deserve what happened to him. Like I said, he was the nicest, kindest person ever, and so bright. He completed his undergraduate law degree in University of Limerick, then completed his master's in business law in UCC. He worked in a nursing home while in college, because that's who he was, a hard-working young man. He then sat his law society exams, and got a good job earlier this year in Northern Trust in Limerick. All of this shows that he had an amazing future ahead, but that was taken away from him so soon. I'm heartbroken. I lost an amazing friend, and I will miss him every day. Rest in peace, my dear friend, Mark O'Sullivan. Happy to pass that on. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. And you can text 086-8104-106. In spite of everything that's going on with the uh, takeaway uh, drink orders and takeaway cocktails for people to take them home. And you have to, by and large, accept that people are going to do this because they are at home. So they're home now is their place of entertainment. And you need that, like, for your mental health. You need to be able to, you know, get, even if you want to get dressed up and, you know, have dinner in or bring it in from outside places. So we need to accentuate the positive. And I know that Murphy's Rock on their Facebook page, like many other pubs uh, and, uh, you know, outlets are advertising for takeaway, but they had an incredible weekend of food. Uh, and there was an awful lot of people who would have been employed to cook all of that food and put it all together. Apparently, they sold 500 dinners at the weekend, which is an incredible amount of food. Uh, we sold 500 Sunday Carvery dinners this weekend. There's not another pub in Cork City that's doing a Sunday roast for a tenner. I agree with you 100%. And that's the upside to it. Businesses need to try and survive and get through this. And it's not the business at fault if people behave irresponsibly when the business do what they're supposed to and allowed to and should be doing to keep their businesses taken over so they keep people employed and keep the business open in some way, shape or fashion to get into 
you know, next year, 2021, when things will improve. So keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106. Pat, of course, the poor old devil is over in Amsterdam. He says, been loving the show over the last few days, the back end of last week. Thank you. He said, a lot of people are sick of talking about COVID, don't you think? But the topic is never far from discussion, unfortunately. Yeah, COVID's like this huge magnet. It keeps dragging us back. We got away from it there Friday with the ghost stories, which is great. He says, and normally, normally I get to travel back to Ireland from the Netherlands about three times a year. I don't even tell my family I'm coming back. I just turn up at the door with suitcase in hand. <laughs> They'd love you for that. Uh, I kind of took that for granted. I think we all did, to be honest, with traveling and going to all of these events that we love around the world. I definitely miss all of this now, but they're off the agenda at the moment. The last time I got home was August 2019. When I get home in the summer, I always make sure I'm stocked up with goodies coming back home. Tea and shortbread cookies and Chester cake. Where would you get your Chester? Because Chester is, Chester is a gamble. It can be great in some places and awful in others. Spiced beef from Tom Durkin is a most is a must. I had planned a surprise visit back home for my dad's birthday in December, but I had the flu and I didn't want to compromise his health, so I stayed here in the Netherlands. We lost our dad in May this year, and I had to watch his funeral on Facebook. Oh my god. So many other families were impacted by this rule for funerals. But I so wanted to give my dad a big hug and say thanks. I haven't been afforded that chance. I can't wait to get home and give my mam a hug, though, and actually start the grieving process, as it still seems all too surreal in accepting that dad is gone. There's also the guilty feeling that people who live and work overseas feel when these things happen, and we ask ourselves, could we have done more? I found myself ordering boxes of Barry's tea the last few months, and potatoes via a UK-Irish outlet through Belgium. But spiced beef is proving to be the difficult one. You can't have a Cork Christmas without spiced beef, so I'll be checking the website of Tom Durkin's Meats to see if he can deliver to the Netherlands over the next few weeks. Stay safe, and hopefully we'll be able to celebrate Christmas in some fashion over the next few weeks. Hopefully there'll be some more Halloween stories today from your fantastic listeners. All the best, Neil, and all of your team, says Pat in Eindhoven. And he's been in touch with this program for years and years. He's such a loyal listener. Um, don't know whether you have reached out, as the Yanks would say, uh, to Tom Durkin online, but I certainly will check to see if Tom Durkin in the English market can deliver overseas. And if he can, we will organise it for you, Pat, if it's possible. So we'll get on that later on this morning. I do have... Uh, some fantastic meat boxes to give away, hamper boxes of wonderful, wonderful produce from Tom Durkin. Uh, and I'll tell you more about that again a little later on this morning. So I'll check that out on your behalf. And to answer your other question, story about, uh, your other question about all of the different stories from Friday, I still have a lot of emails and texts from people telling us of their own ghostly spirit world experiences. And if you would like me to read them out, lads, let me know. Text 0868104106. And I'm happy to go back again to the um, tall, dark figures at the end of the bed. Just let me know, because I have lots of them. I'm happy to read them out as we go through the morning. But I was mad looking forward talking to Mary Crowley. As I heard of the story last week, because some people got in touch with me, regarding 25 people who live in sheltered housing for the elderly in Murphy's Farm in Bishopstown. And they've all been cocooning and minding themselves uh, since March. So could I chat, if you don't mind, for a little while with Mary Crowley on this topic. Mary, good morning. Good morning, Neil. You're the, you? you're the youngest of them all, I'm told, is it? Oh, well, I think I am anyway, Neil. <laughs> I, don't know if I'm suppo- I don't even know if I'm supposed to give out your age. 
Irish or I couldn't care less. I'm 66 years of age. 66. And the oldest in here then is roughly about 90. Now, so we vary. I know, you know you're looking for a little bit of help to brighten up your lives, and I'll come back to that again in a moment. But okay. that, that beautiful sheltered housing was built by the Lions Club, I believe, with funds, wasn't it? It was. It was. It was. And what's yeah, life been um, like for you guys since March? Well, you know, we're just indoors and we're afraid, you know, at the very minute we go out our front door here, onto the corridors. It's just a two-level building, you know. And any chance down to the foyer to collect our post, um, we have to wear a mask, you know. And, you know, most of the day, if you're going to throw out your rubbish and things, you're masked all the time, you know. So, so do you all have, do you all have individual exclusive housing arrangements there? Um, well, we all would have our own front door. Okay. And do you not mix with each other? Yeah, yeah, but do you not mix with each other in the common area, Mary? Um, well, we're advised not to. You I know, know we're know. advised to keep our distance and, um, well, you can understand that, Neil, you know, with the, the way that the virus is spreading, you know? So, no so, visits um, then, no? Um, only essential visits if somebody needs, um, you know, care and attention. Um, like the lady next door to me now would have her niece visiting with, uh, once a week with just what she needs. But a bit of shopping and stuff, is it? Yeah, but I haven't seen that lady since March. And she lives right next door, you know. Or, or oh the wall would be back to back, you know. It's yeah, it's it's um, it can get you down really. You so know, this is I a think. real example of the severe hardship that people have gone through. And, yeah, and and you've been doing this since March. Since March, really, we had a break there for a while, but you know, you know yourself, Neil, when you're in and out the supermarket. You're trying to judge this person and that person because if it comes into this building, and um, Neil will just spread right through it, you know. And you'll be a, you'll be kind of frightened in supermarket aisles, wouldn't you? Well, there's so many people in them. Yeah, personally, I would. You know, I well, thank God I drive Neil, and I I go by night now to do my few groceries if I need something, you know? So, I know, um, I know. Yeah, and they're all kind of private people in here. They, we all do our own thing and I, I reckon we're just all nervous really of meeting each other in the foyer or the common area as they call it here. And even know? across the summer and all that when you should have been enjoying much of the outdoors. And uh, w- would you say yeah. that it's that people are depressed? Isolated, oh, lonely. I would think so. I would think so. I, I can, I can see it in people's faces, and even for myself, Neil. I get a good day. I get a bad day, and um, all my family are abroad. I mean, you can't, you can, you can't get in a bus to Australia when you feel like seeing your kids. But have you no laptop or a tablet or a mobile <laughs> phone where you can screen them? I have, I I would have a tablet, my iPhone tablet, and I'm able to do Messenger 
to the boys and my grandkids, you know. I have six beautiful grandchildren now all under the age of six. So, uh, like, I'm probably a late grandmother, really. And yet I'm not involved in their lives. I was due to go over to Sydney for Christmas, but, you know. Since March you've been going through this. And, you know, sometimes I suppose even looking at people in Australia on a screen would make you even feel more lonely and isolated. Well, you know, Neil, with me, I have to stay kind of uh, on the happy side and smiling and having a bit of banter with the kids. And the very minute the iPad is down, the tears start to flow. It's the only way I can handle it, really, you know? It's the only way. And how do you spend your day? Um, at the moment, I'm sitting at the side of my bed looking out the window into the tennis courts in Murphy's Farm. Now, don't get me wrong, Neil, it is a beautiful place. I hear that, yeah. I hear it is. It, is a, it really is a lovely, you know, and they've uh, opened up a park for young kids there last year. And, you know, again, it's great to hear the the voices of the young kids going up and down and parents talking and, you know, but... Um, so you're somewhat, yeah. you're somewhat mobile enough yourself, but there are much older residents in their 80s and indeed older. the eldest is yeah. 90. How's the 90-year-old yeah. getting on? Well, like I say, me, she's, you know, she's isolated since March, except maybe, you know, she would have to go out to the doctor and somebody would take her, obviously, family, you know, but it gets very lonely. You know, when I look out and see people coming to help some of the residents here and all mine then are abroad, it's tough. It's it's tough. It's tough for you, you know. Um, and I think one of the... Thank you for sharing that. I do appreciate it. But the main That's purpose of... of did I get a letter in or was it an email or did somebody pick up the phone? Because you're... you're was, ne- yeah. Was it a letter? No, I was... I was. Uh, I rang in. I was speaking with Brenda the other day and she picked it up from there. Oh, right. So um, she wrote it off for me. Because you're, you're looking... Yeah. We, want, we want to be able to help you with whatever you need now for you and yeah. the others that are living there in that residential sheltered housing. Yeah. You just want to brighten the place up. What do you need? We do, um, Neil. Like, it, to the front of the building now, it is just beautiful. And, they, you know, the housing committee here keep the grounds just immaculate. But there's no privacy when you sit out there with... And, you know, at times you just want to cocoon into a little corner with a book. And then we have access to the back garden. And we have what... Uh, we have called is our residence garden up there but um, in the past few um, last week they had to cut back all the branches um, overhanging and take away all the hedging which was about five or six foot high and now the whole thing is opened up and it looks it looks crap really <laughs> for want of a better word yeah know. Yeah. the point of a better word, it looks, you know, so we would, what we, what we really, really need is a shed out in that garden because every two or three years we have to replace our few garden tools that we have 
they're out in the rain all winter. So and do the residents, do you, you know, guys do the gardening, the shrubs and the plants and the raised beds? Well, yeah, well, I love the garden. Yeah, you're I, the best you can I, do, yeah. You know, yeah. I love it, but, you know, at our age, the backs would be too good and it's the bending up and down that would I get know, you, really, I know, I know. you know. So we are talking but, about uh, a garden shed to replace yeah. what was ever was there for the uh, the tools. Um, we're yeah. talking about three benches to replace Some the old benches. ones, yeah? So yeah. you can sit down in the springtime when the weather gets a little nicer. Well, you see, we want to kind of start preparing it now. Would you go out now with a coat on and sit out on a bench? I would go out now with my boots on, a big a big <laughs> foreign jacket and a woolly hat. Okay, so we need them for now then. So we need, we need the garden shed, we need some benches to replace the old ones. Didn't I read somewhere that you, you were in need of some plants and some shrubs and some flowers for... Well, for it would be nice for the raised for the raised beds, you know, if we were able to get on a few little garden ornaments. Maybe. Some ornaments, and would maybe. you need? What about potted plants, though, where you wouldn't need to plant them, but they were just nice and ornamental? Well, exactly, in ceramic pots. Now, maybe some garden centres that might be locked down at the moment. Yes, you know, and yes, they'd be uh, ordering in some new design furniture for the springtime. We'd be very happy if they were trying to offload. What they have at the moment. Okay, you know? so we have elderly residents in sheltered housing who are looking for a bit of a dig out, if you'll pardon the pun, because exactly. many of them, if not all of them, have been cocooning since March and there's been little change in their life since March. So if somebody was involved in horticulture, a garden centre, a company that sold garden sheds, people that make yeah. or sell garden outdoor benches, Oh, uh, maybe some ornaments, yeah. some some potted plants yeah. and things that we could get it all yeah. together, get it out there and make a project of it to brighten everything up really, for you out there. It would be absolutely okay. beautiful because we still have to go out um, outdoors, you know. We well, can't. It, it certainly will perk people up, won't it? I think so. I, and to put a bit of colour in there and uh, with raised beds we'd be able to manage standing up, putting in plants. But you'd be looking out and you'd be walking amongst and you'd feel an awful lot better yeah. about it. I mean, I, lo- I love the garden and I love the sense oh, of achievement out there. Yeah. You know? yeah, I don't think the cold puts us off here, to be fairness, um, Neil, really. You know, we're a hardy crowd here and we still go out walking. But, you know, what What would be very handy, Neil, if some garden centre, you know, an arbour that would be covered over on top. So that if, if we had a shower or anything, we'd still be able to sit under that and get okay. the I'm going to get Seamus to put a list together now, a definitive list okay. of what you need, right? And I'll broadcast it again. I'll remind people of it in businesses if okay. they'd like to get on board to help to brighten the okay. lives of people who um, have gone through so okay. much since March. Okay. It would make a huge difference. I, How about that? It would. And I promise you one thing, Neil. For the last 40, 45 years, I've been baking my own Chester cake. <laughs> and if all this comes to fruition, you will have lovely Chester cake for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> Do you agree with me that Chester cake can be very hit or miss? Oh, this is beautiful, Neil. There's, there's a line of pastry on the end of it and your Chester cake. Okay, so give me your recipe. What's the filling? Go on, go on. Oh, I... I, I, I I'm sure I couldn't give you that name. 
I couldn't give you that. My my nanny nan my nanny's nanny 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 passed it down, and you ain't getting. Well, hang on a second. Do you, do you soak it in tea? Um, I do it with bread, and you soak it in tea overnight. Ah, well, I got one of your secrets out of you anyway. You did, but I am not giving you the ingredients. Okay, so will you promise me a couple of slabs of it? Well, no, a couple of squares of it. If we get this I thing. Will. I will, with beautiful icing on top, and I tell you, you'll be ringing Mary Crowley up for another batch. <laughs> Maybe I will. I want to get the first batch anyway. Feel free to come in the road from where you where you are. You're not far from me, yeah. Don't throw in the road, and feel free when the garden is done. Please, God to have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee with. I certainly will do that and with that cup you of tea can. I will have a slice of your Chester cake you will God you willing will. okay you will. listen um, you've certainly brightened my day let's see if we can brighten oh, your days uh, oh I'll, thank okay. you Neil. So I'll get, lovely I'll get the shout out out there and see uh, Cork people are great they will help they will help believe yeah. me yeah. and we'll make yeah. life a little bit yeah. easier for you and everybody mm-hmm. else out at uh, Murphy's Farm sheltered housing and uh, we'll Brilliant. be back to you we'll be back to you Mary alright hopefully thank you very very much <laughs> okay. take care for now bye Mary cheers bye bye can bye. you help guys can you help text 86 if you're a business that would like to get involved and I know that there are people out there listening who will want to help this is the time for you to step up to the plate, guys. Text 0868104106. Let's do this. Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851-04106. Red FM. Yes, indeedy. So do text, guys, if you want to get on board, and we'll give you that list again of what's needed for those residents who are living under, um, you know, fairly stringent lockdown conditions since March. I think it would be a great thing for us Corconians to get on board and help them. It's the little things that make a big difference. We'll also share the list on social media. We'll put it up on Facebook and Twitter as well. You can see exactly what they're looking for, particularly if you are in the business. You have uh, maybe a garden centre or you're a horticulturist or indeed you make sheds and benches and things like that. Okay, so I'll come back to that before midday. If you want to get involved, text 0868104106. Okay, people are asking for more uh, spooky stories and they're asking for more ghostly stories that I didn't get to read them all out on Friday. So uh, we'll come back to those between now and midday today and we'll get through as much of, as, uh, you know, the different stories as we can. But uh, Lee Varadkar finds himself in a bit of hot water. It was when he was Taoiseach of the country that he was leaking documents. Quivine. Yeah, I need. Um, I, think, I think that he'll survive this. This is not um, a general election issue, nor a sacking or resigning offence. Sure it's not. No, I think he'd be grand sure. But uh, what I found, oh, I actually read the article, and even though this leak thing is important, and they'll probably get a lot of headlines out of it. There's a lot of stuff in the article that's largely being ignored, which is just as important. Please tell me, because um, I, ha- I haven't read it except what I saw in newspapers. Yeah, like there's one stage in it where this guy, Boaz, the guy who revealed the thing about the leak, he says this O'Toole, the guy who was involved in the medical organisation that received the leak. I, I t- I'm just wondering, um, are, you are aware that I may not be able to get allow you to say what you're going to say because oh, no, Varadkar no, already no, has no. claimed this is defamatory. Well, whatever I'm saying is actually it's... It's what was reported in the village. Yeah, but I'm wondering, maybe, maybe is this a good place to be going to? Because um, perhaps Varadkar is already taking a legal action against the magazine. 
Or maybe that's just his way of ensuring that it dies a death fairly quickly without anything being said. Well, I mean, I think if there's anything illegal in it, then it's his friend and maybe he should be chasing this guy or tool. I, I know, but I'm just con- I'm just conscious of if all of these other allegations that you wish to make were well, in the I'm public domain, none of the other newspapers I'm picked up and raising them from an article, from an article. Like you know, you've been discussing the leak all morning. No, no, just once, just well, once. You discussed it. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. No, are you after leaving yourself open for litigation? I know, not that aspect of it. That happened. That happened. But if you're saying there was other stuff in the article that nobody is publishing at the moment. That could lead me to believe that some of the other parts of the article will lead to a defamation case against them. I don't know. I'm just saying it might. Like, the bigger picture here, is this the way our politicians actually do business, you know? Well, I mean, that's one of the things that's mentioned in it. But if you're saying I can't discuss it, like, there's no point in me. I know, but it's just in general terms. You know, we have Golfgate, we have the Galway Tent. You know, we have whatever goes on in the Dáil Bar. We have lobby groups. You know, there's all that's sorts exactly of different... That's exactly what that whole article is about. It's Essentially, it mentions the league, but the article is generally about as uh, this guy, and he wasn't discussing Varadkar in particular, so I don't think this could be aimed directly at Varadkar, where he said that people generally within the healthcare sector use their connections with ministers to ensure that they get contracts, whether those contracts are good value for the taxpayer yeah, or not. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that these, on occasion, these just happen inside in pubs where a minister, some minister might get together with a friend of his who's a friend of a guy who wants a contract. I would have thought those days were well gone now. Well, as you mentioned, Gosgate, Neil, when was... Did we discover what other members, or former members, who are now parts of lobby groups were discussing there? There were lobbyists like there Hayes. on behalf yeah. of business. Yeah, Like Brian Hayes, I don't know what the man does like in his personal life. Because he lobbies for banks, doesn't he? But yeah, that's his business. He lobbies for banks. And I'm sure he wasn't playing such spectacular well, that he sat down for three hours. I, I, I have no idea what they discussed, but you, you would wonder, you know, you would wonder with all of the well, different yeah, people who were there. According to this guy, Bose, who was heavily involved in toting for contracts himself over a long period and who had contracts with the HSE, these things are discussed in pubs and in you know, social outings mm. with friends who mm. are connected. None of that has gone away then? Well, obviously not. I mean, like, this isn't an accusation, so it's only a supposition. Within the article, he mentions that Leo's partner... Yeah, you see, I won't go there, you know what I mean? Because, like, if there are aspects to that article that have not no, been made public already, hang on a second, it means that they could be party to a defamation proceeding. So. No, but this is actually, it, it must be a fact. No, no you see, no, but mind yourself, because, my, no, like, we don't, we, we don't know that it's a fact. Well, he works for Beacon Hospital. I know, fact. but I'm only saying to you, leave it alone, because you don't want to get in trouble, and I don't want to be the one to get you in trouble, and me as well. If there are aspects to this that are not already made public from this article, those aspects of that article could be the proceedings of a defamation case. But so that that's article what, is still actually available. That's fine. That's their problem. That's, that's I mean, their, the first thing that somebody would do... Is withdraw the article. ...is deemed to be defamatory is have an immediate injunction and have the article... What, no, but what I am comfortable with is with you making the point that issues involving uh, who you know, uh, where you meet them, relationships you might have with politicians is still as, is still as big a problem as it was in the days of the Galway tent. I mean, that's well, a reason. I imagine it is. Yeah, I okay. imagine that if, 
if this article or other articles and things that it refers to this guy Shea Bowes, if it's going on to the extent that he says, and if, as he says, it frustrated contracts that he sought that were non-profit, that were awarded and withdrawn and given to other organisations where it became non-profitable, then one has to question, are these connections, these personal connections, of benefit to the taxpayer and to the people who are sick and dying in this country? That's right, in the sense that are we getting value from money and is the system transparent enough? The Beacon Hospitals during the first lockdown. All right, okay. The millions that were spent on that. Now that's on public record, I'm not making that up. This was stated in the dial. There was multiple millions... No, I'll tell you what, that's fine. And and really, we, we've covered as much ground as I'm comfortable with with regards to the ridiculous legal defamation and libel laws in this country. Um, and, and that's as far as I'm going to go with it. But I do appreciate it. What I would suggest, I don't know if you've read the article, like the article, while it's still available, is well worth reading because of all that exposure. I mean, there's one incident, I won't mention it and I won't say it, but towards the end of the article, there's a statement made on asylum seekers yeah and if that statement is true and I'm not going to repeat it because you suggest I don't repeat it if that statement is true it casts a whole light new light on the government approach to asylum seekers in this country Are, are you talking about the allocation of contracts is it I'm talking about a statement that is reputed Okay, well, le- le- let's le- let's leave that. Let's leave. Yeah, well, let's leave that. Really, let's. Leave. It's not worth going any further than this for all of us concerned in this. Really, believe yeah. me when I tell you that. Well, I, cert- I would suggest anybody should read the article themselves. It's Village Magazine, Veragcor. It's easily googled. And I certainly will do it at midday. Thanks for that, Quivine. Appreciate it. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. I'm just trying to be fair to everybody. Um, we we in this country have. Um, some might say they're not stringent enough and maybe people who have been affected or been defamed or libeled would say that and I understand where you're coming from in that regard but um, uh, yeah, just need to be very very careful imagine, imagine I'm not saying that Quivine is wrong uh, in any way shape or form but don't you think that a lot of the other aspects of that magazine article would have read it, already have been published and in the public domain if it were safe to do so that's all I'm suggesting back after the break text 0868 104-106. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. Okay, we have uh, digital passes for the Cork International Film Fest to give away right across the week. We're media partners and it's happening online. You can watch all of the movies online. You get further details at corkfilmfest.org as to how you can buy your own online passes for all of the screenings of your choice. And you can book them all through their app, which is CIFF 2020. That's the app and away you go watch your movies um, but we have them free to give away on the air right across this week so every day I want you to identify the actor, the missing word and the film Right, the actor, the missing word and the film don't call just yet or open the phone lines at a quarter to midday and of course there was, I won't, actually I was going to give you a bit of a hint or a tip but I don't think it's needed with the actor maybe with the film and definitely with the word but have a listen my dear girl there are some things that just aren't done such as drinking 53 above a temperature of 38 degrees Fahrenheit. That's as bad as listening to the Beatles without earmuffs. That's as bad as listening to the Beatles 
with what? Earmuffs, is that what he's saying? Okay, so that piece of audio should give you um, the actor, the missing word in the film, and I'll open the phone lines just before midday today. Now, um, just a few thoughts. I'd like to share it because I'm just so furious, he says, because I run a small carpentry and general building company. Up to recently, I had regular casual labourers for years who were all very happy to work when the work was available. I currently pay them €120 per day gross to me. That's a lot to come up with for unskilled men. Right now, since the second lockdown, one guy is now demanding a rise from €15 an hour to €18 an hour. And the other fella says he'll sign off for one day a week at a push to work for me. Upshot is, I'm looking at paying more for casual labour now, whilst this pandemic payment is available to them. It was like music to their ears, rubbing their hands and clicking their heels out the door. The pandemic payment is too much for guys who end up working a day or two for cash and they don't need any more. A day or two for cash and the pandemic payment. As a tax-compliant self-employed carpenter, I think my job which I've loved since starting out in 1992 in Foss, my job has become very difficult. My life now is securing the work and having to negotiate new wages at the same time and terms with unskilled labourers. I'm sure this is happening in every village and every town. Love to hear your thoughts on this on Monday morning. Don't give up my details. Well, I'm, I'm just kind of amazed that how can you be tax compliant if you're paying guys cash? I mean, how do you make that disappear? Um... Or, or is it a case that you're giving them the 120 in cash and paying the tax for them? Uh, I don't even see how that would work. Um, the point you're making, though, and maybe people have an opinion on it, is that the pandemic payment for those who are either skilled tradespeople or unskilled uh, is a boon for them because they get the pandemic payment and they're working away for cash. And cash hasn't gone away with people who are hiring the trades to do work for them. Anybody else in a similar scenario to that, uh, where actually the pandemic payment is like gravy on top? Text 0868104106. Okay, yo. Um, lots of different stuff that we didn't get to on Friday. When I lived in the countryside with my parents as a teenager, my parents were away and a friend was staying over. We were in my room. He went to the bathroom. I sat on my bed, leaning next to my window. As my friend came in the door, I felt something on my shoulder and I looked down to my chest and I saw a black string or some hair-like thing. My friend said to me, what the hell was that? He said that uh, this uh, the string or hair-like thing flew up and out the window. The dogs were barking outside. We could hear strange accordion-like music. I instantly turned around and looked out the window, fully closed. My dog was barking. He only barked when someone was around. We couldn't see anything. I was convinced it was the Banshee at the time, and I too am an O'Leary. Apparently, the Banshee only comes for people with the O's and the mocks. My, my uncle told me a story about hearing a baby crying from Temple Breedy Church in Crosshaven. It's been a ruin since the 1800s. Um, have you noticed that most of the spooky stories have come from people who are working in hospitals at some stage or another? Are they sure that they were given the medication to the patients and weren't indulging it themselves? Says Aidan. But I worked in the night shift as a security guard in an old Cork hospital. One night I was doing my rounds. I came across a guy painting in one of the wards. We had a quick chat and I carried on with my rounds. When I got back to my desk, I recorded in my notes that there was a painter working on site. The next night, when I came on duty, my supervisor asked me about the painter. He said nobody was on the site except for me. 
painter and decorator doing a foxer. Uh, regarding the Banshee and the times of the Celts, the Banshee was a good omen to come and take you to the other side, says Steve. Well, if that's the case, why did the Banshee have to make such a racket with the wailing and the screaming and the crying? I'm not a believer in ghosts for the simple reason that people always say they've seen a ghost from around the 15th, 16th or 17th centuries dressed in old clothes. No one has ever said they've seen a caveman, a ghost or a mammoth walking around their garden or a dinosaur. Just an observation, says Gary the Tan in Middleton. I never believed in spirits or ghosts coming back until a few months ago uh, after my dad died. I was in bed one night with horrible pains in my leg. Suddenly, I smelled old spice aftershave and I looked at a shadow in the corner of the room. It was my dad. He said, would you ever cop on and go and get your leg checked before it's too late? I screamed out loud. My partner came up the stairs and ran back down when I said my dad was in the corner of the room. My partner was a coward, says Mags. I went to the hospital the next day and found out that I had a clot in my leg. I do believe our loved ones come back to us. Every now and then I get a whiff of old spice and I know he's around me, says Mags. Actually, good friend of the program, Siobhan, sent me a bottle of old spice weeks back. And I dab it on from time to time. I'm kind of slow to use it because they say it is for the older generations. And who wants to be deemed as being part of the older generations by virtue of the aftershave they wear? What was that old spice? The mark of a man. That was the old ad for it. You're frightening the life out of us. At least I was on Friday. I'm hearing strange noises in the attic now and it's still daylight, says Patrick. And more people were saying that they couldn't sleep on Friday night after the program. After our dad died, one night my sister and I slept in the same bed, consoling each other. We both got the feeling that our dad was sitting at the end of the bed. Oh, we're back to the ghosts at the end of the bed. Uh, anyway, we got the feeling that he was at the end of the bed. In the dark and in my memory, my dad didn't look sick. He was smiling and dressed in his work clothes in my room that night. Although he was 80 when he passed, that night when he appeared, he looked younger. My second story was in a cottage near Bandon Town. I was staying overnight and I was sleeping on the sofa. The lights were off. During the night, a sound awoke me. There was a dull light as if the moon was shining through the window on a cloudy night. But there was no window in this room. How could there be no window in this room if the moon was shining through the window? Anyway, walking across the room from one wall to another and then disappearing out through the wall was a small child with a bright white gown and blonde, short, curly hair. I swear I saw it. It could have been a boy. It could have been a girl. I was too scared to scream or move. Both of these things happened in the month of October, years apart. Morning, Neil. There's a great podcast on Spotify for anyone who likes their scary stories. It's called Scared to Death. These people who do the podcast are a married couple where the husband tells two research stories and the wife tells two stories from listeners every single week. Maybe there should be a radio channel called Spook FM, Spirit FM. Well, there is Spirit FM, Ghost FM merely, where people just listen in to get scared. My mam was, my mam passed away at the time when, my mam was passed away at the time when this happened. I phoned my husband that day. I came home and noticed my TV was on the floor. I asked my husband what happened. He said, five minutes before I phoned him, the TV just went. We sent it to get it fixed. My dad gave me my mam's purse. She always said I could have it. We collected the TV and it was 120 euro to get it fixed. It was exactly the same amount of money in my mam's purse. I found it very comforting. 
she was looking after me beyond the grave and warned my husband too. It says Judy, it's uh, interesting. My father died when he, when he was young. My mother would never have known him only from photos. Sorry, this should be my father's dad, I suppose. My grandfather. One night, my mam heard something like a thudding noise. They were in bed. She couldn't wake my dad. She saw a man in a full army uniform literally coming up the stairs. My dad's father had been in the army. My ma- The man passed my bedroom, passed my parents' bedroom, and went into my brother's room. He stayed in there for a few minutes, and he came out and went back downstairs. My mam said, uh, from looking at the photos, that it was my dad's dad. The next day, when my dad told my nan, she said her husband had been outside throwing stones at her window. She said something was going to happen and he was trying to warn them. This was a warning. A few weeks later, my brother tragically died. He was knocked down. My mam still believes that's why my grandfather only went into his bedroom that night. I mean, that's that's so personal to you. It really is. And I don't doubt for a moment what you said you experienced. But where was the warning? You know? It's so sad and tragic what happened. A woman is often seen walking in a certain graveyard. I was told at the time the graveyard was near Kinsale. Anyway, people drive past the graveyard, but they wouldn't hang about in case they saw the ghost that was there. I heard a man, uh, I heard one day a man was passing one evening and he got past the graveyard and thankfully he didn't see the ghost, but he glanced in his rearview mirror and the ghost of a woman was sitting behind him in the back seat. This always gives me shivers and I think, I think of it passing any graveyard. That's graveyards for you, enjoying the spooky stories. And there are literally reams and reams more of those, which I'll delve back into just before midday. But I, I, um, I, heard, I, got, I had this thing happen to me, and I, I sent it to various friends um, over the weekend. Um, and I'll share this story with you after the break. It's a, a ghost story uh, that actually happened to me many years back. More on that in a minute. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. Neil, you should do a competition for the best Chester cake. <laughs> I'd love to do a competition for the best Chester cake. Believe me, I'd be the number one judge for the best Chester cake competition. Uh, okay, just one or two more, actually, because these are, you know, it, it, kids are very perceptive, I believe. About 26 years ago, I rented one of the incredibly old houses at the start of the Ballinlock Road. My daughter was four at the time. From the middle of the stairs and upwards, I always felt a presence, like a sense that someone was watching me. It always freaked me out, but I never commented on it because I was afraid I'd scare my daughter. One evening I was sitting downstairs and I heard my little girl thundering down the stairs. She bolted into the room and announced to me, Ma'am, ma'am, the lady upstairs said to tell you that you're not to be afraid. I nearly died. I said nothing and we moved the following week. And then there's the story about the ghost on the Cove Road. Uh, Textra says, I never saw her, but the story was that if you were driving on that road at night, do not turn to look in your rear view mirror. If you do, or if you did, she could be sitting in your back seat. I never looked in my mirror when I'm driving on that same road. Can I just say, with regards to the back seats of cars, right? This is interesting because years ago, uh, I don't know, is your, is your, is your mic working there? Can you hear me? Um, is it working? No, it's not working. That's a pity. Um, years ago, when I gigged, um, try and fix that actually, because I want to tell you a particular story on this. So maybe somebody could uh, sort out your mic. Years ago, uh, when I was gigging and doing live gigs in different places, um, I gigged in Newcastle West in a place called Xanadu. Um, so it would involve gigging on a Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday night. Sometimes I stayed over, sometimes I came back. But um, I'll never forget years ago, um, 
coming back really late. I mean, you'd be coming back at maybe uh, two or three in the morning. So many years ago, I was driving back from a gig in Limerick, and it was about three in the morning. It was a very dark night, really dark night. All of a sudden, it started to rain really heavy, very heavy. And there was thunder, and there was a flash of lightning. Um, and suddenly, out of this flash of lightning, and the road in front of me, dark, old road before the big main roads were built, there was this tall man in a long black coat, right? I didn't get to tell the story in front because we ran out of time. He was a, this tall man in a long black coat with a tall top hat standing in the middle of the road. Standing in the middle of the road, right in front of me. So I jammed on the brakes, right? Just jammed on the brakes. And he walked then slowly towards the car, right? Tall man, long black coat, tall top hat on him, walked right up towards the passenger door of the car. Uh, he was carrying a large black leather bag, right? Large black leather bag. Um, and he walked up. Can you hear this, yeah? Yeah. Can you hear what I'm saying? I can, yeah. So he has this large black leather bag. I was in the bag. Uh, he opened the passenger door and he, he sat in, turning around and carefully places the leather bag on the back seat. So I said to him, he sits into the passenger seat of the car, and I said, where are you going? Where can I drop you off? I was really scared on this stage, right? And he said absolutely nothing, just stared straight ahead out into the rain, right? Just deep, deep breathing. So I drove off anyway with the man in the car, and I drove a couple of miles into the car, and then I asked him, come here, do you mind me asking, um, What's in the bag? So he slowly turned his head towards me. He says, in a deep growling voice, he says to me, mind your own business. So I knew at this stage now that I had to get this guy out of the car because he's a, a real threat to me, you know. So I started then to drive on the cat's eyes, you know, in the middle of the road. Yeah. So he's going, thumpity, 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 thumpity. Bit of smart thinking. So I says to him, I, I'll have to stop. I'll have to pull over. I think I have a puncture. So I stopped the car and I said to him, is there any chance, would you mind uh, taking a look at the back tire for me? It's on your side, the back left. And he got out of the car so slowly, like big, big tall man, soaked into the skin. Got out of the car slowly. And I hit the accelerator, right? And I drove off like a rocket and left him there on the side of the road. What was in the bag? <laughs> Mind your own business. You're too cute for me, you see. You jumped in too fast with the words. I know, I know, I know. How does that make you feel? I'm so sorry. <laughs> You're so you're so inquisitive. You couldn't even wait till I got to the end of the story to I know, ask me. I'm sorry, what was in I the ruined it. <laughs> but I don't think the no, listeners know. No, it. you didn't. You didn't ruin it. It's just that it just shows how inquisitive you are. Nosy, yeah. Well, nosy, Quick. nosy is the word for it. But that happened. Is that and it happened to you? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Definitely happened. you. 
Kenny. <laughs> Do you know what I wish I had? Remember Vincent Price from Thriller? <laughs> to laugh. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, talking about pieces of audio, um, I mentioned the... Would you say that Old Spice is an old man's aftershave? I would say around your age, so whether you're old Jesus or not, woman, in and around on, it. You're on fire this that morning. That now one, Brute. Wasn't it Brute? Was the other one? Yeah, I used to have Brute back in the day. It was in a plastic bottle and you splashed it all over. But they say that Old Spice uh, is for... Because I wear it. You don't No, I don't it. No. smell it. Mick Mulcahy always smells great. So we'll say, Mick, you can always smell Mick coming. You, I don't know. There's some people Mick in there. Mulcahy. Certain that, aftershaves that they suit them better. And perfumes. Can you smell you're my perfume? you saying the Mulcahy smells, smells better than me? He does, yeah. Whatever he's putting on. <laughs> You'll become yourself. You'll find success. Old Spice. The classic fragrance. The mark of a man. The mark of a younger man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay. Listen, um, that would have worked out very well if nosy old Brenda hadn't jumped in as quickly as I'm she did so to sorry. wonder what was in the bag. No, it's okay. I mean, I, I like that. I'll be bad enough for the rest of the day. <laughs> I will. <laughs> no, you're just fast out of the mark. I told that, I distributed that text to loads and loads of different friends and only one person, Tom McCarthy in New York, came back and asked me, what was in the bag? So see Tom is quick as well off the mark. Although I don't know, I heard that story going around down toward Belly Desmond. The location seems to change here. There'll be there. an awful lot of strange people walking the uh, roads of Belly Desmond. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, well, there's a haunted bar on Barrack Street. Listen to a show about Halloween and ghost stories, and thought you'd like to see the attached picture. This picture was taken in Nancy Spain's bar, Barrack Street, in 1992. A friend of mine was working there as a barman at the time, and some regular customers asked him to take a picture of them on one of the standard film cameras at the time. The couple in the picture came back into the bar the following week with this photograph, what looks like a ghost behind them. My friend has the original photo. I just took a snap of it a few years ago on my phone and I have a digital copy of it. There was no editing done to this picture, I promise. The picture has always received mixed reaction from people when they see it. They say it's fake or that's someone with a mask behind them. It's the blackness in their eyes, though, that gets me. I don't know the couple in the picture, so I don't know if you can put this up for comment without their consent. All the best, says Liam. Well, I can't, Liam, unless I know who the two were and got their permission. But I do have the picture in front of me. And right behind them, there is somebody else. I can see the eyes. I can see the nose. I can't see the lower part of their face, but the upper part for sure. And they are. that person looks female to me. And much taller. But they weren't in the photograph when it was taken, but they appeared on the photograph when it was printed. Who am I to argue with it? The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. Yeah, we're talking about spooky movies on Friday. Thank you so much. This is from Dennis in the city centre. He says, the sequel to The Shining that you're asking about is actually called Doctor Sleep. And it stars Ewan McGregor. Uh, it's not a patch on The Shining. Yeah, they say that about sequels, don't they? The Shining was an incredible movie with Jack Nicholson. Actually, talking about Jack Nicholson, there's another similarity because Jack Nicholson, of course, was in The Cuckoo's Nest. And apparently up on Netflix now, there's another series called Ratchet, which would have been Ratchet, Nurse Ratchet, right? I think that's what it's called as well, who would have been the nurse in The Cuckoo's Nest. And they've given her her own series and, uh, you know, an earlier version of her life. But my daughter says it's rubbish and you shouldn't bother watching it. But there you have it nonetheless. Um, things that you think are good and things that others don't. And I watched, started 
would watch something called The Alienist. Anybody see that? It's worth it. It's not unlike um, Ripper Street, actually, the UK TV series, but it's based in America back in the 1880s and 1890s when they were looking at the psychological aspect of murderers and particularly uh, serial killers. Way back then, they were trying to understand their mind and their brain and you know why they killed, which is quite interesting because the police forces at the time wanted nothing to do with this kind of, uh, you know, a crazy logic that you'd be looking at someone's mind and trying to disseminate what makes people kill. But it's a great series called The Alienist. I've lived in Kilcraig Kilk- Cross in Ovens since 1987. Shortly after I moved in, one night I woke up in the middle of the night. I didn't know what woke me, but I became aware of an unusual sound like humming and chanting. We live on the side of an old laneway that led down to the old railway, but within a short distance, we're very close to Kilcraig Abbey. The sound was getting louder And I got the courage to look out the window. I was extremely nervous. What I saw was as if through a thick fog, but looked to me like a group of monks with their hoods up over their heads, walking in formation and chanting in that lovely way that religious people do. All of a sudden, I was overwhelmed with such a feeling of calm and peace. I took it that the monks in the abbey were welcoming me to the area. I walk my dog in the fields around the abbey every day or most days since. And I've always felt uh, such peace all of the time down there. Now, that's an incredible story, Helen. Thank you. I, I hope I hope you're just not writing that to entertain us with a spooky story, you know, from Friday's program. And I hope that it is true. And I'm not doubting you. I, I really do believe that, you know, you did witness and did experience it. But, you know, you never know these days what people, you know, um, you know, say they saw or make things up or... I think it's a beautiful place. If you haven't been to Kilcray Abbey, it's literally out to ovens, turn left, go down about a mile, and the most beautiful abbey, full of historic fact, and uh, many, many famous people buried there. And it's in great condition in spite of its age. Kilcray Abbey. I often like to just go out there and just have a walk around, and it's so silent and so serene and so beautiful. Uh, but just one or two more of these and then and then we'll move on. Uh, line six, let's see this one. Josephine, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Back to when you were a child, is it? Yeah. I was probably about six, maybe seven years of age. And um, we lived that time in Barry's Court. And of course, there's a big castle nearby there, as you know. Barry's Court Castle, so, yes. Barry's Court, yeah. And in the, sometime in the middle of the night, we had no outdoor lighting. There was no street lighting back then. When? And we How had long no, ago? Oh my God, I was probably about seven then, and I'm in my 70s now. Right, okay. Yeah. Oh, in um, the 1950s then, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, I I saw these circles, and I woke up for some reason or the other, and I saw these two, what I know now are orbs, and they were side by side, but not touching. In the room? Of course, I was... In, it right, I was, my bed was up against the wall, and I put my finger up to touch the to touch them, you know, and they moved. Now at that point, I covered my head, and in the morning when I woke up, I told my parents, you know, told my mother and father about it, and before we knew it, the priest came down, blessed the house, and every night after that, the rosary was said, you know. But that was like, you know, I, I wasn't. I got frightened when they moved, you know. Because I put my hand, but they were perfect orbs, perfect, you know. And um, after that, I never saw anything anymore, you know. After the house was blessed, you never saw anything, is it? Exactly. And what did and you, then, you were a child, what did the adults tell you it was? 
they didn't say, you know, they, they believed me. My mother and father believed me, you know. So, and I never asked them in later years, you know, anything. I never brought it up again, you know. But listening now to the stuff there in the recent days about um, ghosts and there's some ghost stories and stuff. But I've never forgotten that, you know. Two perfect circles. But why is, why is it that it's all, like, you know, all these stories you hear of a loved one appearing at the end of the bed in the dead of night. Why at the end of the bed? Why at the dead of night? Why not in the middle of a summer's day while you're going for a walk or downstairs at the yeah. kitchen table or something? Yeah, I know, but I, I guess, you know, there, like I said, there was no lighting in the room, no outdoor lighting, no lighting in the bedroom. And um, I, I don't know, I just saw these lovely, what I call balls, you know, I said to my parents. And you, and, um, 100%, lie detector and everything, you saw these yeah, in the room, two, I did, two balls of light business. darting around the room or stationary in the room? No, they were stationary on the wall next to the bed, the bed was pushed up against the wall. And I saw them, you know, I woke up and I, I saw them, they weren't moving or anything. But as soon as I put my finger up to touch them, I was just a child now, remember that, you know, at seven, I was curious and I put my finger up to touch them and they moved. So at that point, then I covered my head and didn't give, you know, didn't, you know, in the morning when I woke up, I told my mother and father about it. And the next time, the next thing I know is Father O'Connell was a priest that time in Carrie Tool. And uh, he came down and he blessed the house. And every night after that, then the family rosary was said, you know, so Amazing, I often huh? wonder, yeah, I often wonder what those spirits were, you know, I don't know, but it was very, very, uh, it frightened me when they moved, you know, it's, it did frighten me. You and, know? And, and, and now as an adult looking back, how do you feel about mm -hmm. it? Well, I saw what I saw, you know, Amazing. and I still wonder, you know, I still wonder who they were or whatever, you know. So, obviously, there were, I don't know, but it was two perfect circles, two perfect ones, and they were not touching, you know, but when I put up my finger to touch, they both moved, you know, and then I covered my head. And like that, I told my, my um, parents in the morning, and of course, the next thing, we know that, that, that the priest came down, blessed the house, and every night after that, then, there was a family rosary, you know, so, yeah. Thanks so, for that, Josephine. Appreciate the okay. call. Thank you. Well said. Okay. Nicely told. Okay. Kay, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I appreciate the, now, you, I have a busy house. Yeah, I know. I'm appreciating the fact that the child might start crying. So go ahead. Well, I'm just giving her a lovely rice crispy bun there. Bait, so bait the sugar and the chocolate into her, girl. Go on. <laughs> Nanas can do that, can't they? <laughs> Secrets out now. Neil, it just, it, it, the storyline this morning, I thought it was so unusual because... We lived in Inniscarra, just facing the river, the beautiful lake out there in Inniscarra. Absolutely. So we were overlooking it. Um, my mum loved playing cards and we'd often have her out of an evening. And this night we were out and we were all sitting around the table playing the cards. And this, I didn't see it, but my husband and my mother, there's a man passing, coming to the front door. So the big lock, knock came at the door anyway. And my son went out and answered it. Nobody there. A runaway knock. Looking at a runaway knock. So we said, that's it now, you know. But a bit, we carried on with the cards anyway for another 10, 15 minutes. And I see my mother said, look, that's the tall man with the black, dressed in black. And a big loud knock at the door again. So my husband with, went with my son the next time. They went out the door to have a look around. Nothing, not a thing. So we kind of ended up the cards because we were saying, this is very, very strange. Mm -hmm. 
So later on, anyway, we all went to bed and fell asleep. But my husband didn't sleep that night. And he got up in maybe three o'clock in the morning to watch a bit of TV. The breeze came in the sitting room door to him. Because I used to say to him, Jesus, how did you handle that? A breeze and a dark shadow. Like a cold breeze followed by... A cold breeze. But he said it wasn't scary. He didn't get frightened. It wasn't a frightened feeling that he had over him. But on and off every now and then, little strange things would happen around the house. But after, I just Googled there, that river across from us is, it was an old graveyard, it's now made into a lake. Yeah. And there oh, is, uh, when the ESB were electrifying many yeah. of the places down around here, they flooded a valley there in a village. They, we were overlooking that. We yeah. actually You can still see part of a humpback window. bridge right in the middle of the river, of the, of the lake. You certainly can, yeah, you certainly can, yeah. So I don't think they were nasty by no means I wouldn't like it but my husband said definitely he didn't feel fearful over them anyway he didn't feel fearful of a cold breeze and a black shadow he didn't he said it was very calming you'd have to speak to him but I said oh my god did you really stay up to he said no it wasn't frightening he didn't feel threatened in any way alright amazing amazing experience I'll let you I'll let you get on there I think you're probably feeding the dog rice crispy cakes as well are you I, I'm going to have to. <laughs> oh, <don't. laughs> Thank you, Neil. All right, Thanks good luck. They, they say that. They say you're not supposed to give dogs chocolate. But every fucking dog that I've ever had, they've often robbed vast quantities of chocolate on one or two occasions, even boxes of them. It didn't take a blind bit of difference. And I have a scary story that happened to me last year. My boy, my young boy who was five at the time, is on the spectrum and doesn't sleep great. He wakes a lot during the night. We keep a camera on him and have the monitor next to our bed. So when he starts to wake, we can hear him wake. And we head to his room to try and put him back to sleep before he wakes fully. So one night I was asleep and had a dream of a person standing next to my young lad's bed looking at him. The person himself was a tall black figure and didn't feel like he was friendly, but couldn't make out any details of his face or his clothing. But he had his hand out which I could see four long fingers and touched my young lad on his chest, which made my young lad sit up on the bed in the dream. I suddenly woke up thinking it was a bad dream and looked at the monitor and my young fella was sitting up in the bed. I ran into him to try and put him back to sleep and could feel the room was freezing cold. He fell asleep 10 minutes later and went back to bed and felt the room getting very cold and I could feel somebody in my room in this cold room staring at me. I eventually fell asleep myself after a while and I told my wife the next day, it's never happened since, but for me, I can tell you, it was a very scary, surreal experience. Thank you for that one by email to neil at uh, redfm.ie. Remember the conversation we had earlier on with Mary? And the garden wish list for sheltered housing in Murphy's Farm in Bishopstown. You have 25, maybe 25 up to 30 elderly residents living there. And they're looking for a bit of help. And we had a lovely conversation with Mary earlier on. Um, And they've been pretty much cocooning since March now. So when people think about, you know, their freedom being curtailed, think of people like Mary and others like her up to the age of 90 
who are having a very restrictive and difficult time of it. So I put together a list of the... I don't know how many of you guys may well be able to help, particularly if you're in the business or you're in the trade. You may be, um, you might be a garden centre, you might be a florist, so you might be somebody involved in horticulture, you might be in the trade, as it were. Um, or look, what does this mean here? Garden size, six metres square. What does that mean? I don't know what that is. That might be a shed, maybe the shed. Anyway, a garden shed. Table and four chairs, four garden benches, um, some raised beds up to three or four feet in height, a mixture of seasonal bedding, um, ceramic pots of a good size that can be used for the potted, you know, particularly if they're big enough so that the elderly people don't have to kneel down or crouch down to fill them or to do the plants and the shrubs. Um, potting compost, maybe some gravel and some light pebbles. Uh, and some um, some fresh hand tools, shovels, forks, trowels, uh, and things like that. And also maybe, you know, you know those little solar lights that you can get? You just stick them down into the ground and then at night they, they give off light. So they're the kind of things that we're looking for if you'd like to get involved, just to make life easier for them uh, so they can get outdoors. I think the benches are very important, the table's important, the chairs are important, the shed would be terrific. Things like that, if you can help, have a think about it. And if you want to get involved, text 0868-104-106. Thanks a lot. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. Okay, lines open now. So what we're looking for here is the actor, the missing word, and the film. And that'll get you guys some film digital passes for the 65th Cork International Film Festival. So get dialing on this. So we're talking about the actor, the missing word, and the name of the film. My dear girl, there are some things that just aren't done. Such as drinking 53 above a temperature of 38 degrees Fahrenheit. That's as bad as listening to the Beatles without earmuffs. All right, 1850-104-106. Go for it, and we'll have that across the week from tomorrow as well. More fabulous vouchers um, for hot, piping hot pizzas from Oak Fire Pizza from tomorrow onwards for best calls, best stories, and best emails. But the last bit of business this morning involves John O'Leary, who's just released a new CD called Cork 1920, A City in Flames. They sent me a copy of it last week. John, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? And of course, last week and over the past uh, 10 days or so, we've been looking at the death of McCurtain. And we've been looking at the death of McSweeney. A hundred years ago, we touched on Kevin Barry. And this time a hundred years ago was an incredibly important year. 1920 that led into 21 and 1922. Isn't it true? Yeah, it was a historic part of the, of the nation's history. Because, um, because we would then have been going on to the likes of uh, Cross Barry, wouldn't we? And Kilmichael. Yes, well, this song, this, this CD was mainly about 1920, but the Cross Barry ambush was so integral to the success of the War of Independence that we had to include it in the album with the Tom Barry ambush and Kilmichael. So that's why both ambushes are together on the, on the CD. And I'm going to go out actually on one of those songs and I want to play it in its entirety, Tim O'Reardon's song. But what of the other ones? Give me a sense of those. Well, this song came about as a result of a song written by John Murphy on Joe Murphy. The boy from Paula Duff that I heard on the, the TV during the week. Yeah, yeah. John wrote that. Yeah. And it led to me asking John, would he release an album of new original songs on the events on Cork during 1920 and he agreed 
But uh, what we wanted to do was to make sure that everybody was treated the same because what happened to Joe Murphy when he died on the same day as Terence Rattrini Hunger Strike his mar- on Hunger Strike it was, over, it was overshadowed by the death of Lord Mayor obviously enough True. but it was nearly forgotten about it except for his family and we wanted to include some of the lesser known people also on the album so we included songs of Coming Among and Peg Duggan and the Delaney brothers, Con and George Delaney. That's right. It's all in there, including the boy from Polydove and including the ballad of Tomás McCurtain, uh, Come On, yeah. You Lads of Aaron's Isle. Where is it available? It's available from myself. I can give my telephone number, John Murphy's telephone number. If you, you can contact me at 087-942-8464. And John is available at 87 Okay, a lot of numbers for people to digest, but I give them out again. It's 12 original songs by uh, songwriters John Murphy, Tim O'Reardon, Cliff Wedgerly's on it. Historical information, there's a narrator involved as well, Jerry Miller, and he it's tells Jerry a lovely Miller, story yeah. ahead of each of the songs. Beautifully done. Um, it costs a tenner. Uh, it's also yeah. on sale at Holly Hill Library. Do you mind if we just play out on one of them? Just before you do that, Nave, um, this, 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 the CD is fully funded, so all proceeds from the sale are going to a charity, and it's Alana Butterfly Life. Oh, very important. Alana's Butterfly Life, all of the proceeds going to Alana's yeah, Butterfly Life. All of the proceeds are going to it. As I said, the, the project is fully funded, mainly by the Cox City Council and the Cox City Library. And a couple of private uh, donations. Well done. Okay. Well, I want to go out on one of those songs. I wish I had more time, but I don't for now. But the Brave Fighting Men of Cross Barry is one that I just particularly thought was a beautiful rendition because it talks about the flying column. It talks about, obviously, it talks about General Tom Barry and his involvement during the the War of Independence and the Civil War. So will we do that? Yes, it'll be lovely to see how it again. Thanks for taking the call, pal. Here's one of the songs from a fabulous new CD, Cork 1920, A City in Flames. Tim Barry, oh, sorry, my apologies, Tim O'Reardon. You'll know Tim from Natural Gas and the Langer song. The guy just oozes talent, this fella. I stood with my comrades on Skane Hill Hill and looked down on the valley below. Freedom, they answered the call, all the brave fighting men. I don't know what it is about Tim O'Reardon. He's such a talent. He always amazes me. He just oozes professionalism. And that CD is beautifully put together. And the audio quality of it is incredible. It's called Cork 1920, A City in Flames. If I were to give you one phone number and CD costs a tenner and all the proceeds go to Alana's Butterfly Life, the contact number is 87 942 8464. Perhaps the lads might give me a few CD copies to give away later in the week, but if you want to buy one yourself and for the year that's in it, it's important. Uh, 087 942 8464. He speaks to Charlie Hurley on that as well. And, and I'm open to correction actually, uh, but I think it would have been the third West Cork flying column. Am I right there? And of course, uh, General Tom Barry, front and center for much of this. And he passed away in July of 1980. And I know some people who actually had the pleasure of meeting. Uh, Tom Barry. In fact, a friend of mine has Tom Barry's uh, wrist wrist watch, I should say. That's the brave fighting men of Cross Barry. Hi, Neil. Centenaries as well on the poor teenager Patrick Hanley, killed by the Tans 
and the Kill Michael ambush coming up this month. And then the burning of Cork for December. The seven new enormous murals gone up in the city over the last two weeks are to mark the burning of Cork. Well said, and thank you, thank you for reminding us of that, Councillor Kieran McCarthy, a fellow who knows and loves his own city. So I'm going to love you and leave you. Before I go for the day that's in it, it's the first of our giveaways for the film festival. So this is, um, this is the reveal, you know, the actor, the missing word, uh, and the movie. All right, have a listen again now. This is uh, the reveal for you. My dear girl, there are some things that just aren't done, such as drinking Dom Perignon 53 above a temperature of 38 degrees Fahrenheit. That's as bad as listening to the Beatles without earmuffs. Ah, sad old day, isn't it? Sad old day. Sean Connery died over the weekend at the age of 90. So the movie was Goldfinger. The actor was clearly Sean Connery, and the bleeped out word was Dom Perignon. But it just reminds me, because in the print here, in the print here, it says Don Perignon. Who was Don? Don the champagne maker. Don Perignon is a bit like people who have been laboring all their lives under the misapprehension that the thing that you eat, the kerny cake that you eat over Halloween is barn brack. Barn brack. There was weeping and shock over the weekend when people actually discovered it was barm Brack, B-A-R-M, and not B-A-R-N, that they'd been eating all their lives. So well done to Patricia Caples in Kilworth, the first of our winners, and we have these uh, viral online passes, so you can watch all of the Cork, Fist, Cork Film Festival online from next Sunday. All right, our lines will stay open at one 106 You can text 086-8104-106, particularly if you'd like to get involved in our garden wish for sheltered housing in Murphy's Farm in Bishopstown. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.